Well, hello everybody. This is episode number 14 of Whipcast. This is another good time down in Indianapolis, spending a few days with my good friends Blake Bruning and Steve Townsend. On this episode, we will actually have a live Q&A session. Not so much live that it's being broadcasted live, but we are actually reading some questions from uh, some of the followers in the Whip community, and we do our best to answer them during the show. In addition to that, we discuss some of our favorite whips, some whips we've made that we've been very fond of, and actually some orders that we've made and wanted to keep, but couldn't. Sit back and relax, and enjoy episode number 14 of Whipcast. are live. What's up, my brothers? You name it. Good hanging with you guys again. Uh, it's a fun, fun few days, every day. It's like the highlight of the year to see you guys together in one room. Even though I see, Always. Even though I see Steve Townsend over here, you know, pretty much two, three days out of the week, <laughs> working side by side, you know, getting all three of you together, that's just a powder cake of fun. Always is. <laughs> so we did something pretty interesting over the past couple days. I'm down in uh, Indianapolis hanging out with my two bros, great friends of mine so thankful to have met them both along our our whip making relationship they've been kind of helping me with kangaroo and just recently i i decided i would try and show them what i know about nylon and you guys both uh worked on some nylon whips yesterday or two days ago so uh how, how did that feel to be working with nylon because steve i think you you said you you did have a little experience with, with synthetic whips when you first started yeah, I, I made a few nylon when I first got started, and uh, I can see really now why I want to use kangaroo. I mean, more than ever, I, I don't really personally care for the nylon. Although I will say, I think the nylon we used this weekend was different than the nylon I used before. It didn't feel the same to me at all. How, how many years ago was that? That I, that has been, I don't know, five to seven years ago, maybe, somewhere yeah. in that area. I, did, I don't know. Yeah. It's been a minute, but... Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember the nylon that I used being that difficult to deal with at all. Mm. But it may just be that I've gotten so used to kangaroo that it's just alien to me now. Could be. But I don't. I don't care for it. I will say that I thought it would be harder on my hands than it was. Mm -hmm. um, it's so soft. That, that, yeah. Felt it's, great. It's 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 uh, pretty easy to deal with in that respect. But mm -hmm. the problem I kept having was as I'm trying to get the strands, uh, you know, like on the diamond plat, as I'm trying to get the strands that my strand is going to go under you know i'm trying to put those strands on the top side of my hand yeah and they just keep wanting that there there's no grip to them they just kept sliding off my hand and i i kept having to re-grab everything and it just got to be more frustrating than anything yeah we actually uh filmed this and uh, yes yeah we thought it would be a we, we thought it'd be a fun thing or you know that me and steve who well steve made one years ago but you know it's a little different so we and I've never made a paragord, and in this video I even talk about how I never 
even watched a video on how to make a paracord. I have watched snippets of Nick here and there, but whenever I watch this stuff, I don't do it or care to learn it. So I'm really just paying attention to Nick. I'm seeing how Nick communicates and how he talks. I'm seeing how Nick was when I'd watch it back in the day before, you know, like years ago before I ran to him. But I never really did it as a learning process. Like I, I watched Bernie's when I needed to learn a couple things on the beginning, but I already learned from Steve in person and I had talked a lot with Joe Strain and Casey Tyler and Paul Nolan helped me out in the snippets. So like even in the beginning, I never really looked anywhere else to learn to make whips because I already knew more how Joe did it and uh, what, you know, the Steve, different than the way, completely different than the way Bernie's. Um, Bernie's is what I would call a prolific whip maker. Um, he doesn't really do things the way pretty much most any other Australian does it. And and I just mean his method and the way he cuts it out in one strand to an extent isn't as, it really isn't that common. Most people use you know, like they'll call stock whips single belly whips. And that that's a four plat. It's not a six plat or an eight plat or a ten plat. It's just not very common. And if they had to do a double belly whip again, they'd use four plats. So, you know, uh, Bernie, you know, Bernie's method's a little bit different. And so I would watch that in amusement, although my second whip I made it his method with his infernal square, you know, his infernal machine that you bevel and stuff. After that I went freehand, but um, other than that, I never really learned from that too much on, on, on Bernie's. So but with a <clears throat> with kangaroo, you know, you know, like a, you know, like that's all we really do. Me and Steve do. Well, that's all I've done. I've never done. I've done a synthetic with a metal, uh, new braided material. I got that's a metal braided material that I overlay with on some really cool lines. Mm -hmm. But besides that, I don't. I've never made a synthetic. So this is the first time I had to do all my math. We just sat down and did it. I didn't take time and formulate or calculate anything. I sit there and draw up numbers and <laughs> calculate the circumference and divide by four. Yeah, I didn't do that. I just kind of. Uh, what I did is I made a completely leather core in a way that I kind of did to share some tips on how to do things by hand and how to attach the core the way we do it, not the Bernie method so much. And, you know, the more Joe Strain, Paul, Mo uh, Paul, well, Paul Nolan and David Morgan and Bernardo Del Carpio, Casey Tyler, me and Steve, you know, people kind of do that more of the, I guess you call it the Morgan-esque style bullwhip, which is really more common, you know, on, on how to do bullwhips in America and stuff. And uh, so we just did, I, me and Steve did different uh, approaches to it where I did an all leather except for the nylon overlay. And then Steve... I uh, started off with the leather, and then uh, I, I forget what he did on the belly. It's like I think he did a kangaroo belly on one of them too, right? No, I had a just a cowhide core and a uh, um, nylon first, That's right. first belly. So he did it in his own way, but we mixed leather and that. But I think it's a really fun video. We couldn't get the whole thing filmed because the winter's really bad, and Steve couldn't make it the second date. But we filmed enough to where I showed everything I did for my internals before I put nylon on it, and then I got to the halfway point where I finished up the rest of my internals by hand. But I think if you guys watch that video, that's more enough to see the only thing different than me just tying on a six-plat fall HDM and throwing a lot of falls when I would have finished it. I don't know if Steve would have done it. I've gotten a lot of questions about whether or not I've ever combined the two and made a hybrid, you know, kangaroo or, or just overall leather whip uh, interior with paracord on the outside so that's we, we're doing this whole thing it was kind of a an experiment and like Blake said we didn't really get to finish them yet but what how do you feel about the results so far do you, do you feel like it it looks well, like it's well I did everything kangaroo so so the paracord is just the, the wrapping paper for me so of course it's going to you know beautiful down the one, one thing I think though is that the strands we used I thought I got the 650 I don't know but it, you know, being a, what we did, we used a nail spike instead of spring steel too. And we just, I just rigged things on the spot. And if you watch the video, you should see it. Cause it's just a, it's not like rig rig. I mean, it's not, it's not, a, it's, it's a workaround on just what I decided to do at the moment. It's not like I thought plan so I thought, how am I going to get this to happen and make it easy and quick to wear a nylon and get it and kind of hit a nylon more like size yeah. with not doing it. I didn't want to do a double belly with leather though. Cause it'd make it too thick. And, but I felt like on the handle, you know, you got to braid extra wide on those 16 plats for it. Cause I, you know, usually on a 16 plat handle, I want everything to be 5.5 mm -hmm. on my leather strands. 
And so that'll cover the handle, and I just tone it down a little bit right towards the transition. But these, I don't think were 5.5 when they're done braided. They hit more like five or a little below five when they stretch. So you have to pull it, I noticed a wide angle on it. And the one thing I didn't like with the stretches, like it would bite, you know, when I braided on it. But the problem is it almost feels like it's a finger cuff. Like the way I ended up locking in, because you'll, you'll have to see the video, but I made a yoke for it kind of. But it felt like when I was braiding it and I'd pull on it, like on that handle, especially until it got braided, it almost felt like it was a Chinese finger cuff to where yeah. when I would pull back on the whip to braid, you'd see it kind of stretch. And then that maybe opened up a couple pinholes. I, I, I didn't, you know, I had, uh, it's funny how I braided on the seam, on the handle only, you see about very little, like down one, down the middle of my seam is the only thing you see it. Nowhere else around that handle you see about eight or nine pinholes going down it right down the middle spot a couple on the side but uh which i thought was interesting it was only there on it but once it rolls it won't be there i mean they're very thin pinholes but i couldn't i was surprised that but that all happened because i don't think the material lays as well as kangaroo or slides into place in a well uh, as well to yeah. where that it locks into a place where you're not going to get pinholes no matter how much i pull and tug on things the leather wouldn't have had it to where if i pulled on it maybe have stretched to where it kind of that that what I call Chinese finger cuffing on the diamond braid. Because if you diamond braid, it's like a Chinese finger cuff. So when I pulled on, it did look like it almost maybe made those because it only made it in one spot and it made it on my spine and I'm pulling straight back. So I'm guessing just from that. But but there's a lot of difference between uh, leather and kangaroo. So, so like, some one, you guys think you want to maybe try again? Oh, I'll never do it so again. I just did yeah. it for fun. You know, sure, that's the whole sure. thing. Like, I think the fun thing about this is just seeing somebody that is a whip maker yeah. that is, I guess, somewhat good at kangaroo. Anyway, somebody's a whip maker, somewhat yeah, decent absolutely. at kangaroo, and uh, that has never done nylon, and just, you're like, here's some nylon, and we're just going to do this on a fly. So I think that made it, that's what makes it a fun video. What, what was your guys' interaction overall, or what was your view on the, the interaction between the the nylon and the leather did it rub against it weird was it hard no no i don't think any material on an underlayer will ever affect really when you're talking about whether it's nylon or leather gripping gripping because um synthetic i feel like leather tends to stretch not, not that they don't want to stretch but it's hard to explain the natural stretch versus a synthetic stretch but the, the natural um, I think slides in, in, in just a little bit better than the synthetic, but both will bite down because you're pulling, as long as your strands are in the ballpark of a dimension that'll wrap tightly around the object you're braiding, it won't matter. It'll always wrap tight. Now, if your strands are too fat and it's too, or the, the, the thing's too thin for it, I mean, you got a margin of error, believe me, but if that would be the only problem to where once you braided it, it would slide all the way out. The same thing can happen if I did leather, same thing I did all nylon. If it made, if there were too many strands for what I'm doing, I can't tighten it up enough. So. Um, but I will say this, um, with the nylon and uh, versus the kangaroo, as Steve was saying, when you're trying to braid it, it'd slide off your hands. Well, kangaroo has a little plating, so it'd kind of stick to your hands. Yeah, so we can yeah, freely sure. flow. But the, my biggest problem was, since nylon has neither a top nor a bottom, or a, mm -hmm. like kangaroo has a slick and then a flesh side. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, where it's, it's the fuzzies, or whatever you want to call it, or it's a little bit grainier. So yeah. it's like, I can always have a strand, and without even looking at my strand, for the most part, I can tell which is touching my hand. So with this, when I reach through under the whip where I can't see what I'm grading because I hold the core and I hold the very last plat always tightly in my hand, as I reach through my right hand to grab that back strand to pull, I can feel usually where I grab it that it's in place and it twists. But these being tubes that are flattened to an extent or just tubish, I can never, they flip, you know, but it's like I can never tell whether I was on the top or bottom. And if I lay it in place, I can't see if it was top or bottom because it doesn't have a flesh versus a slick side. So mm -hmm. uh, I think it would be more possible if I try to braid super fast 
that I'm more likely to have a flip. And uh, I didn't really have flips, but a couple times when I tried to find it, I couldn't get it right on the diamond. But once it's herringbone, it's no problem for me. But like the diamond made it kind of tricky because the way it's all pinched in in that checkerboard, that it could be just tilt a little when you grab it, so the side immediately just twists on you as you reach through and pull. Mm -hmm. So that that was the only thing. And like I said, it's softer than uh, way it's way softer and easier on the hands than, than leather, only in ways. Yeah, I was going to ask that. A lot of people ask me which one is more painful. Yeah. Do you feel well, a difference? They, they, they all pain you in the different ways. Like nylon, from what I believe, is if I just grabbed it like a rope and you fell and you had your hand on it, it'd burn you like crazy. So uh, kangaroo can burn you like that, but it usually won it. Mm -hmm. So don't get me wrong, kangaroo is soft too. Depending on how you hot stretch it, which you shouldn't, and wring it out around a hook and a half hitch, which you shouldn't do, that can make the edges of the kangaroo sharp like a blade. Just like mm -hmm. paper can cut you. Kangaroo can slice you. It can still hurt you. Oh, it'll slice. No, it'll cut you like a blade, literally. And you could probably cut your bone with the kangaroo slice, like a paper cut could cut to a bone. You could do that. And so, but generally it's pretty soft too. But the thing is, mm -hmm. when you're grabbing it, so you got to realize uh, when you have a bevel and there's an angle on it, or if you don't knock it up, but anyways, it has a sharp point on it. So if you did happen to have an angle where it had a sharp point and you slid your hand down it while you're braiding, uh, well, one, it tends to fall in the, the creases of your finger joints, so those are will crack more than anything with us, and it also is the part where it would slice you, so you kind of get some slices, because if you pull and your hand slides a little bit, not that you can't slide here and there, but because if it's in that bad groove with the sharpened edge of a, of a lace, you know, you're more, you're more likely to cut. I don't think you'd really ever risk burning your hands with, with rue, but you would you could slice them up really good yeah. and they get in the cracks a little differently like it, the, the nylon won't burn my cracks as much or tear up my cracks unless like i said you're just burning your hand by sliding it yeah i know i just talked a bit there but go ahead. yeah most of the time <laughs> yeah, yeah i, I find good. that i well, have a little bit of experience with kangaroo you know not nearly as much as you guys but i found that the the pain i feel from nylon versus kangaroo is that the nylon is more surface pain and then the kangaroo, because it's generally softer material, you know, the, I guess it's not. Well, it's not as rigid either. Like yeah. sometimes kangaroos are just a little more, less, how can I say it? Like if you held out like a stick, the strand, it's mm -hmm. a little more stiffer, not that it does hold out like a stick, than mm -hmm. nylon. Nylon definitely supplely would rep, just fall over my finger without any, yeah. it, it'd have an instant curve. What do you think about the reverse nylon, Steve? Uh, as far as the nylon goes, I my favorite part of it is the uh, strand prep process, <laughs> which is pulling it out of the bag and cutting it to length. It's great. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's you're braiding. Uh, I did uh, I did have to deal with some knots that I wasn't too fond of. Yeah, um, it's always a pain. I think that just had more to do with the way it was spooled up in the bag and you pull it out of there and instantly everything's yeah. tied in a knot. But that was frustrating. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I had that spider web because I didn't know how to pull it out or really yeah, think about the hink factor way. when I pulled it out. One yeah. about, I had no problem. When I pulled out a second bag. I just yeah. pulled it out thinking it was okay. And it, it was, if you it, find the middle of every loop, there's a, there, there's a way to do it. Usually I'm too impatient to do that. And I just kept <laughs> pulling on something. And then because I was impatient, well, that's 15, 20 minutes wasted. So I can I understand your frustration with that for sure. Keep going. What yeah, no, I like, uh, I like having all my strands uh, on a yoke. You know, yeah. all, t all 12 strands or whatever has 16 strands of your overlay mm -hmm. coming from one piece of leather, man, that that makes it a heck of a lot easier to get your braid started mm -hmm. and just get everything going to me. Mm -hmm. um, with a nylon, it's like you've got to figure out either you're going to double over your strands and you got to cut them twice the length or you've got to somehow tie them onto the end of the whip and or put, put them all into a, some sort of vise or something and start braiding and it's just... I don't want to mess with that. I it's a time killer. 
Yeah. Uh, it's like time wasted for things when you should just be, to me, running around the block. I don't want, that, that's why it frustrated me with Bernie's method, mm-hmm. is when I had all these strands, I ended up, when I did Bernie's, I actually did what I did with this nylon, which I laid them down and glued them to a piece of leather to make a yoke. Mm-hmm. That way I could just fold it over like a yoke and then braid it because, you know, I, I tried it, so when I first did my leather with Bernie's, which is kind of a nylon method for leather, I had these 16 strands that I had to somehow attach the handle on the overlay, and I didn't know how. And I guess I didn't go back over the video because I'm just stubborn like that and I am just do things. You know, I don't, <laughs> like, we're doing it, here it is. Whatever knowledge I have, I got to go with what I got. And I didn't even go back. I never went back on the video when I tried his method the second lip I made. And so my whole thing was, how do I lash these to this handle so braiding? And I think I tried to lay all 16 around it. And, like, it's just funny. It's just, you know, it's a very idiotic moment, I realize. But I try to lay all of them gently around it and then lash them all 16 at one time. And then so when I saw Steve do his nylon... <laughs> And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that would have been so much easier if I watched what Steve did. So Steve would lay one down and lash it once or twice, and then lay the next one next to it and lash it, lay and lash, lay and lash, and he did it on the belly or something. I'm like, oh my, wow. You know, I never would have come up with that, and I'm sure you've seen it or hadn't seen it, but I'm like, I, it's yeah. like, I don't know if Bernie did it, but the way I tried, I couldn't do it because I kept thinking I had to hold all 16 in place, yeah, right. slide my hand back enough while all 16 flaps are flipping there, and try yeah. one lash to land, right? They just kept flipping and twisting, and I couldn't get them in there, and then I did it, yeah. and then I pulled one to braid, and it slid out. I did that three times in a row. It took me like an hour of <laughs> thinking. Of, I know. always had this weird idea that the left <laughs> and the right strands, like, they couldn't cross. If they do, it's the end of the world. So the first time I made a whip, I actually had it laid on the floor, and I had these strands divided, and I would, I would take it and put it through and lay it on the, on the right side, lay it on the left, mm. and just keep doing that over and over again. And it's funny, the, the things you realize the more you do it. You yeah, know, I, you're I think, so concerned about little knots. And yeah, I think it's, it's the problem with um, a beginner versus the, the, the student versus the master. I'm not saying I'm, I'm the master. I'm just saying that, like, when you look at things and you haven't learned anything, as Bruce Lee says, you know, you, you've got to find your way of no way. And mm-hmm. the way of no way, being able to respond to any way and just be able to adapt. Well, when you start off, you have nothing. You probably wouldn't even made a whip. If no, you didn't even know a whip exists, you wouldn't even think about making a whip. Like, no one would ever think of a whip. Right. I don't know how it came. No one knows how it came. I'd love to know how the guy that thought and realized if I did this, it would crack better. They probably just had it crack and have that happen. They figured out roll it. But still, it's like most people would never invent a whip. I mean, whoever invented it, that was it. That guy did it. You know, <laughs> he is. Yeah. So it's like, unless you saw a whip, you wouldn't even know a whip existed, in my opinion. And then yeah. when you saw a whip, you know, maybe you could start figuring out how to make one or whatever. But it's like uh, most people have to learn from somehow, and usually most people, once again, they'll see YouTube videos of access now, or you might try to find a whip maker when they think I'm going to get into something. But but whatever you got shown, mm-hmm. it's hard because now you know nothing. Like you go to a karate joint, you don't know what to expect. You've never done any fighting, and you didn't have a brother that beat you up or an uncle that wrestled you or, you know, no one told you to box. You know, you grew up with family that. So, like, you go in this place, and they, they'll just tell you whatever because everyone has, like, martial art academies, and I think any learning comes off this up. Uh, and it's like uh, they have their own doctrines. Like karate ones, not quite like this. But they want to block, punch, and kick. It's a watered down version. But you know, it's like taekwondo wants to step back and kick as you're coming in. They use more legs. It's like mm-hmm. BJJ's all you know more on the ground, but MMA. You know, I mean, they all have their own yeah. uh, religious beliefs on how you're supposed to win a fight, what range, what tools, whatever. So when you go in there, you don't know nothing. And I'm not insulting karate, but this is my first karate. When I was kind of walking there, and they're like basically something like this. Like, all right, well, here's your basic punches. Here's yeah, yeah. Here's your basic kicks. Well, now you're getting punched and kicked. We need to show you your basic blocks. 
makes sense, right? I'm like, okay, what's my basic block? So they show these blocks, and they say, you know, it's punch or kick. And that's just how you learn, so that's all you know. So yeah. when you show somebody, shows you something, all you know is the way they do it, but usually your brain doesn't start thinking, because most people don't, like, well, what will I do different? How can I make this better off the bat? Like, what yeah. can I do to do it? Because you don't understand necessarily why you're doing it, so your brain can't take over to a master state level where because you know why and because you know why it should be done, now you can have multiple ways that you can come up with because you understand why it's done, not what you're doing. It's amazing what a little bit of knowledge or just a, an introduction okay. lesson will do. It, instead of just seeing something for face value, you start to recognize the parts. And so with this, I don't know why they want me to punch and kick like this. I don't know why they want me to block. I only know what they want me to do. So here comes the problem. So, first of all, you learn this stuff and you do it. So you start fighting, thinking, well, fights, punching and kicking and blocking. Then when you, I started training multiple martial arts and years go by and I really seeked out, I realized, first of all, all these teachers and production going on, it's like, well, why would you block a punch? I'm like, well, you don't want to get hit. It's like, okay, would you rather hit him in the face instead of have to block a punch? I'm like, well, yeah. I says, well, you need to you understand that you need more of an offensive thing or if you do have to handle a punch, your job isn't to block because if I just came punching, running at you and you try to block every one of those till you found a moment, first of all, you're running back and you came and hit a guy because you're going backwards there's no power and he's like well, why are you trying to block all these punches you can block all you want but it doesn't stop me from continuing to keep punching you mm. so it's like no matter what you need to be offensive with anything you do it there is no block. energy too but since right? and that's more yeah. what it should be as things go by and it's also a fraction of a second but all i'm saying is so the karate philosophy was we got punches you're going to block so i think that's just all it is because i know nothing else but then as you learn other things, like, well, it is kind of stupid to block, because, you know, you can't do it. Well, not that you can't block if you have to, you're stuck, you're frozen, you can't move something coming, you need some guard up. But what I'm saying is a philosophy based on, well, there's punches and blocks, and that's all there is, you don't understand all the nuances of every range, getting the hold of the head, have any elbows, any of the other things that go on that can go on. Or let's just say, let's forget the sport rules. You're going to get your balls kicked, he's got a knife on you, he's going to grab a bottle and hit you, you're getting clawed, you got two people, I mean, it's... So, you know, you can't just sit there and block three people punching at the same time. You've got to, they, those tactics will not last, you know, you got to have different tactics. So, so with this as a rookie mindset, you're just focused on that your whole world now is based on that one concept, I punch or block, or I kick or block, and I try to block till I can kick, you know. So when you're making a whip, and this is a no long analogy, I'm sorry guys, <laughs> so when you're making that whip as a novice and you watch someone do it, you really don't know why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, you know you're making a whip, but you lash what they lash, you try to attach the way you saw it attached, you drop the way they dropped it, and that's good. That is that is your technique, but it's really hard to not see anything else do, and I think we naturally want it because we're like, well, I don't know what to do or why he's doing it, so I'm afraid to try anything different because it's going to make a worse result than the guy that knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. How important do you guys think it is to, this is kind of branching off from what you said, but how, how important do you think it is to have a, a basic skill with a whip to be able to crack it you know some basic cracks like do you think there is an advantage to to seeing firsthand and feeling the physics of the whip when it comes to construction you mean from a maker's point of view yeah from a from a maker's point of view. Oh, yeah you I, I would say that would definitely be uh, helpful you know it'd be you know like someone trying to build a guitar that didn't play guitar they're not going to know what a player wants out of that guitar so mm -hmm. It's almost the same thing from a whip maker's point. There's no one whip fits all. There's just one blueprint we all follow. It. There's different, not just different styles of whip, but each whip can have a, a spectrum. Yeah. A bull whip can have a spectrum of taper and weight. Yeah. You there's there's getting used to one whip. You might get a really bad whip and get used to it, and then think that a really good whip is a horrible whip because you're used to this really bad whip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like get a JRZ special, JRZ Joe special me bear. You know, they got different people that make them now, but they're just they're not really. They're like roped. There's like a core of a rope with some other 
sometimes tissue paper or other weird bondage, and it's just a really crappy type of love overlay, so you can get away for thirty dollars and call it Indiana Jones or Stuntman, and it's sixty bucks. But it's really like a thirty. I mean, I don't know how they can sell that for even sixty bucks. So someone had to actually make it. And the time it took them to make it with this cheap leather in this cheap way, I'm like, mm -hmm. you could have put another hour in it, and you could have sold it for a hundred more because it'd been good stuff. Like I don't get some of these really cheap ones. But yeah, you'll get that and crack it. And there's no weight. There's no balance. There's not enough weight to carry to let it just. You let your fingertip drop, and the weight carries. Mm -hmm. So you have to do more of a towel effect where you have to add a torque right, back. Like you right. throw it out, but you got to pull it up help it. or whatever. And so then, yeah, you get a real whip, and it just won't respond the same. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you need to uh, you need to be able to understand that how to throw a whip and, and the the you know basically at least on a fundamental level yeah. like like yeah and do it without you know muscling it to make it crack and if you've mm -hmm. got a cheap lightweight whip that doesn't have any you know guts inside it you're going to be you're going to have to force it to crack whereas if you have a nice whip and you know how to get it to roll out you know you're it'll be a lot easier to crack it'll crack with a heck of a lot less effort but what is important about cracking the whips that you make and looking at whips that other people have made is that with the same technique and the same amount of effort, different tapers are going to be easier to crack, different weights are going to be easier to get a crack out of. So, mm -hmm. you know, you want to be able to have enough experience with, you know, being able to throw a whip that you can feel the differences from these whips and find out what you like and what you want to try to get out of your next whip that you make, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know, that from my point of view is the way I would look and at I it. I think um, that's the biggest problem with um, um, okay uh, we there's no whip cracker near probably half of you the nearest whip cracker is only the, the guy that you convinced he should whip crack because he saw your whips <laughs> that's usually how most people have people around and it's usually your whip you crack you know he's yeah I mean not everybody can just buy a string anymore he does he doesn't do it you want to taste the Morgan well he doesn't make him he, he passed away sadly but he also quit making him like what was it 2000 it was 2000 when he quit or was it 1990 or like 1990 or is it 2000 David actually quit but like David quit and then you know Will did it with Megan and all that but either way so you can't get one unless you have one of these because they don't make them so like if you wanted all these other whips from known makers you can't always get them right now like Jack is retired Mike Murphy retired around the time Joe did and so did Jack and you know it's just like a lot of all has happened and not but in the past five years a lot's happened in the top guys you know that you kind of hear a lot around America but it's just like you know um, you can't get that and a lot of people can't just spend five hundred dollars on a good use Joe strain and then get spend maybe because Morgan is an Indiana gearhead value on it. It's like you know, a Morgan, even if it's an old Morgan that's 30 years old, especially the older it is, probably the more they pay for it, but you can't spend $2,000 on one. So like it's kind of hard for the average person to just go out and buy a Morgan, buy a strain, buy a DiCarpio, buy a Nolan, you know, buy a Townsend and then, or a Tyler, Casey Tyler, and then just have all, you know, spend $4,000 to try them all out and see how they different the same if right. you're going after leather. Same thing with nylon. You can't, you know, it's kind of hard to spend about seven hundred dollars to get maybe three or four whip makers you like. It would be worth it, but you know, to try all those to see, okay, now that I have a whip to try, and see how it cracks, I can see how it's different than mine, or how are they different from each other. Mm -hmm. But you also got to realize there's a tolerance of whip makers maybe making something different. Unless you ordered what you ordered and you get it secondhand, he may have made it different because a customer wanted different, and a customer has abused it not. So it's kind of hard also to judge used whips, anyways. Yeah. You know, that can be a factor. Like, why did he do it on this time? Well, it might have been for a reason. This is fat. He makes a fat whip. Well, he doesn't always make a fat whip. You know that, you know. So there's mm -hmm. a thing, too, where you'd also need maybe two or three models of scene in that maker to really see this is more how it is, and I can see why that one was the odd one. So, I mean, it's still even kind of hard then, but knowing, getting a good whip in your hand, I think, is the biggest problem on a lot of you. The YouTube uh, guys out there, or us that are out there that just learn from YouTube, 
and don't get to go into a whip maker shop that has whips to see his style. Now, even if I did have the best whip maker and I learned my first day because I just stumbled in a shop and I landed into an apprenticeship, <laughs> it's like even then I'm only stuck with his whips. So you, you really want to try multiple whips. This is why I tried to encourage years ago to build a whip community was to make the whip community on Facebook. And it doesn't really do much, but I was trying to find a way that whip crackers could find other whip crackers in their state and their area because you don't have to buy all these whips. What's really important is you get a group going and people come around from all the surrounding towns, hopefully at least one from every, within a mile away in every direction, you, know, you get eight people there that all have different whips and different whip makers. Even if it's just their own, it doesn't matter, but you can, that's the best way to sample stuff for free. And I think that's what a lot of people miss out on. And you know, um, that's why whip meets are so great. Uh, yeah, especially you get a guy that's got a, like a great collection, and he's like, "Yeah, check this out. I only brought thirty of them today." And he's like, "Each one is from all the names you've ever dreamed to see yeah. in your life." You know, and like, but that—that's—that's that's an experience. That's why I like going to the LA Whip Meet is a mm -hmm. huge experience. If, even if you guys are a cracker, hopefully, me and Steve will be going to join one this year or next. But yeah, I hope you guys come. by seeing over a thousand different whips by different makers, even if you can't crack them all. It's like what you get out of that you would never get from a picture. You would never just get from watching a video. You got to look at it in your eyes and hands and hold it, and if you can't crack it. Mm -hmm. But you know, I think um, when you're learning from a video from somebody that made something way back in the day, and also if it was one of their first videos they ever made, they've changed a lot too. And just because you try right. to make it like them, you can't even make it like them because you may not have the same paracord, or you may have something a little thicker here, mm -hmm. or this didn't work out the same. So even though you're doing a what I call a copy and paste on YouTube, which is learning, you, they tell you what to do. You've done nothing. You do what they did, and then you're supposed to grow from there or improve on your own. That's just the way it is. I mean, you can learn from them, learn from someone else. But with that, they copy and paste it, but it's not Legos. They're not all four blocks and eight blocks. It's different. So even if they try to copy your video, Dick, or anyone's video, it will not be the same whip at the end of the day. So if they're trying to judge what you think a good whip is based off your tutorial, I guarantee you that with one, more than one ways doesn't come off like your whip that you made if that was one that sure. really like it. Yeah. So there's no way to even copy it and know that's how mixed feel. Like, well, no, you don't have mixed braiding technique. You don't have to fish it. I mean, yeah, it won't be. So it's really good to see as many artists as possible. And, and that'll help you figure out, maybe not, I'm not saying to copy them, you'll find things you might like to copy, like I like the way his transition look, or I like the way his weight feels, or I like, there's things you'll learn like that, but ultimately you need to find these things you like, but really remember you're trying to find ultimately your way that you think it should be. Mm -hmm. And that's what you should always look at, what you think makes it best, and if you do a whip that you love, and you think makes best, I'm sure it'll be a good cracking whip, and people will love it. Mm -hmm. So you also don't want to forget your own way. You know, and that's why I talk about like the 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 the, the, uh, the apprentice with the master. So you come in knowing nothing, and people like say, "Well, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to wing it." Mm -hmm. And sometimes you got to wing life. You don't have a moment to change, <laughs> to learn before a bad thing happens. But mm -hmm. you can only wing it. I, I'm paraphrasing Anthony wrong, but Anthony has a phrase. I forget what it is. It's the one about like uh, one can only wing it if they've mastered flight. And I paraphrase it wrong. I know it's a little different than that, but I heard it like that in my mind, and I thought it was a good. I, the way I saw it was everybody says I wing it. Well, you can't wing something until you've mastered something because to wing something you have no thoughts like you're in a zone you just can wing it and handle any problem no problem because if mm -hmm. you wing it and you have problems well you're not winging it you winged it into a mess yeah. <laughs> so to wing something and it perfectly works out you have to be a master so you don't know what you're doing you copy and paste and you've got to copy and paste for a while and copy the way you told you to block the way it showed you to punch but as time goes by, you start learning, well, I know I've got to improve, so you're, you're, something improves. You start learning how to fix one thing. Maybe it's, you start realizing, oh, I could break quicker, easier this way. Or you used to you watch the video again, you just learned something you didn't see the first time. But as you get better, you know, the point is to understand why you're doing what you're doing because you are more important than the whip you're making. The techniques you use, your drops, are not as important as that you are the person doing it and the, tech, and the ability you make that technique work. Mm -hmm. Just like a martial artist say, like, I... 
like Nick, you're a smaller guy, you're in great shape, but you would not want to clothesline me because I'm about a foot taller or a half foot taller than you. Uh, a clothesline's not a good move, like WWE. But like I could clothesline you, and it would be right at your head level to raise my arm up, and my weight might be able to knock it out. So it's, I'm not saying it's a good move, but it's like, once again, that technique, is it a good technique? Like, heck no, I'm four foot tall and weigh 100 pounds. Well, I'm 250, and I've got, you know, it's, like, it's a great move, I think. <laughs> I'll just slam it. And it's like, so what is a good technique? The technique doesn't matter. It's the practitioner who uses the techniques that makes the technique work. That's what I'm trying to point out. So you got, you learn by copying, but you're going to make techniques your techniques. But if you understand more why whoever you're learning from did this technique, now you can really step away from how he did it. Mm -hmm. Because you realize why he did it. And I'm like, oh, he's just doing that so this doesn't come loose. Oh, he's just doing that so it holds it in a place so I can do that. So now you can get other ways because you understand the only reason why it's needed, not all the ones you can kind of think of and create in your own imaginations. Mm -hmm. And now you can supplement it. So it's good to know why people are doing what they're doing, not what they did. Because when you know why, you can change what you do to get the job done. Yeah. And that's what I mean. So as you don't know nothing, you copy and paste, and you keep copying and paste until you hopefully don't sew inside and out, you will find your own way of freedom. Mm -hmm. but, to, but freedom doesn't come free. You have to master something before you can freely flow in your own your, your own your own freedom. And I think people understand that like, hey, we're supposed to be free when you do anything. I accomplish something. That's great. But right now you're just like a kid with a sword swinging around randomly. You're in danger who knows who because you haven't known it enough to be able to be returned to your like when you start you're a natural, you don't know anything, so you may do great. Like poker players have never played beat masters because they have no cells, no ties, no they don't even know if they have a good hand. They have no idea. So a master is trying to think of a strategy to fight him and all that matters is the luck of the cards, because that's the only way it'll ever work with a fool that doesn't know what's going mm. And so a natural could easily storm through and win, but once you start studying it, it's no longer easy. He now realizes, oh, I gotta watch my face, I gotta watch his face, I gotta watch my old my car. It's like he starts getting technique. Right, right, and so right. now he's obsessed with trying to understand the game better. He's gotta get his map down, he's gotta figure out how to be his own, what he's projecting, what he's absorbing. Mm -hmm. So now this becomes the problem where you're learning. So you first of all just did things naturally, and you might even be successful because you're natural. But the moment you start trying to grow, it becomes unnatural. Because you're trying to break down something you never thought about doing because it was kind of natural, but the only way to get better is to break it down and make it unnatural again and cut away. Like even if it's just you, did, you just did a catalyst crack your whole life, you're gonna break down how to finally do it to where the whip does it all, and you do it with less energy. So once you finally do that over and over, and you finally understand it, you come back to a state of naturalness, but it's a trained naturalness. So when you know nothing, you're natural. There's no thought. As you start to study, it becomes consumed with thought, and that pursuit is usually how passionate, how good you are, is how consumed you become. But you gotta also not obsess and just get out there and have fun, boys and girls. But mm -hmm. then once you've mastered it, there's no more thought. You know, as Bruce Lee said, before I did the martial arts, a kick was just a kick, and a punch was just a punch. After I started studying it, to me, well, a kick was no longer just a kick, and a punch was longer punch. I mean, you got different kicks and ways of block, each yeah. kick, things like that. He said, but once I mastered martial arts, he's like. A punch is just a punch. Mm -hmm. A kick is just a kick. So he goes back to the state of no mind where you're not thinking about how do I punch him? How's he coming in? What's coming in? It's just like you strike when you strike. You yeah. do appropriately. You're trained. Yeah. I know so, I make the comparison so many times with wit making and music, but it's like you hear a good song, you're not a musician. It sounds good, but you don't really know why. <laughs> but then when you're a guitarist, a great guitarist like Steve, you and you, you, you hear that you solo did. and you can, un thank you. you can understand how complex it is. Right. You know, you it's that your knowledge goes from here to here, and then wow, you have this whole another, and then each each little element has its own little pathway. It's, it's like taking right? the pill from the Matrix. Yeah, it's like once you took it, um, the once you take that pill, they're like you now actually see things. It's always in front of you, and that's the way the world is. I think it's the same thing with you know with understanding Christ's will in life and just God. But it's like 
it's always been there, but then it finally gets revealed to you and you see it with new eyes and you finally see things. So, you know, I think, I think a lot of that happens where now that that veil's lifted and now you finally see it on a level of the components, you know what I call the Whitmaker's eye for talking about Whitmaking. Yeah. And once you, uh, once you <coughs> see it, like say you know martial arts, well, all pun like Van Damme was bad, man, and Seagal, he was all <laughs> like all these guys in grow up there, he's like, man, these guys are getting cool. And then when you finally understand martial arts, you're like, okay, that's that's cinematic, or this is junk, or that's not well, hey, that's kind of good. But it kind of that pill changes you because now all you can see is all the junk in the martial art movies. And then so it takes away all these movies you love and it kind of destroys them in your heart. <laughs> but you find the ones that you realize were good, and then it makes those look to a higher level. So unfortunately, it kills a lot of things that you thought were awesome, but it highlights the things that were better. And so when, when you do that, you kind of shed your skin of, you know, so it's kind of disappointing when you have that moment, because some things you love, you now can't <laughs> stand to hear anymore. And you know, hmm. I think that happens when you get that moment. Yeah, it opens up a lot Revelation. of some things you don't, don't want to know all Because now that you know, you see it differently. You just don't see it the same. Yeah. So. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we got some uh, some questions here. Um, some folks have been interested in hearing our opinions and hearing our voice on a few things related to whip making and our favorite whips, what kind of whips we want, if we could pick, if we could make ourselves a whip. And um, if you want to pull those up, Blake. Uh, yeah, so what, so what Nick's talking about is we we, we just kind of improv him come over a few weeks ago and he had, and, and we got it set up for Nick to just come out and have a few days together and I was on the Whipmaker's Hook which is Frank Zaccoli's site Franco love you Castle how you doing brother and uh, he uh, while I was there I was thinking you know what Nick's coming in, in like two days I'm like I didn't even think about this people usually want to ask questions and get answered I'm like why well, don't I just put a post see if they have anything they want to ask Steve or Nick you know or me maybe but you know I was like let's do it so they we got about a handful of questions and I've got them pulled up and uh, we'll jump in a little bit and we're going to try to do our best to make sure every one of you guys that list of the questions get answered. Now, some people, I'm just going to say this is just off that post, and uh, some of you guys asked questions that we couldn't do, so I might not mention those, but I answered them on it. Like somebody said, yeah, I'd like to know how to make an 8-16 plat all the way through. I'm like, well, uh, that would take more than two or three hours on a podcast, plus it's a podcast, so we're not really filming it, and if we did, we just don't have time. And so I, I talked about things, and another guy talked about making a 7-6 pineapple knot, and again, I'm like, well, it's a podcast. Right. Um, and I gave him links to it. So there's some things like that that I, I'm not going to go into detail, but the rest <clears> will, we'll answer in a minute. But before we do that, I almost think, is there anything you guys want to ask each other before we can get into a set of questions? Or I'll get started. So tell me the worst thing you ever did in your life, Steve. I'm just kidding. <laughs> worst thing free, you never tell hand, anyone in the world. Hand you only told one mine. person. <laughs> free hand stranding, yeah. You did good on that. Uh, we, we got a. Uh, we went to Land Worlands in Indianapolis. Land Land Worlands Leather Company. I took Nick the other day. We actually had a fun time. I like that. Place. I woke up and I'm and, and uh, I'm looking for a part that I want to use. And I know it's in a magician shop. And I've never been to a magician shop. We're in Indianapolis. We're near Indianapolis. There should be a magic shop. And this is the funniest thing. So I got Nick up oh. early on our second day. And this is cold. Like it's so cold. It's negative twenty where he's at. And it's only like negative two or five where we're at, but my car barely starts. I don't think it's bad, but it's, it's just like man. we got up early in the morning to drive in this cold to Indianapolis just to find what I wanted to match. I was like, yeah, I've never been to one. Let's go. And like, yeah, we can do that and get back and do stuff. And so we went there and I looked on my Google and I'm like, okay, magic store. I get three listings and one wasn't even like a magic shop like I could see. And they couldn't really see the stuff in it. And all I saw is it said, the, uh, one was the magic something. 
or the magic lamp or magic candle. That's what it was. I said magic candle. I didn't think twice. Mm. And I'm like, okay, that could be a name of a magic shop. And the other one was the magic bus. I'm like, okay, they're both magic and they're both stores. They must be magic. I should probably have a magician shop. I don't know. Anyways, yeah. but I figure there's one in Indy. So me and Nick get up. We drive about 40 minutes deep to get to Indy. And we pull up to the first one and it's about to open in six minutes. All right. It was like, we got up so early. We beat it before it opened. And, and then we're sitting there a few minutes away, and Nick looks at it, and he says, hey, where's the paper in the window? Go look at it. So I go to open it, or to look at that paper, and it says, you know, it says they're about to open, but then it says, oh, we're closed due to weather. I'm like, great, yeah. so we've been sitting out here. And There's they, a plastic closed sign, and then underneath it, another paper with written, you know, like, Sharpie closed. And I was like, man, that's probably due to that. Now, here's the thing. We didn't go in, but we realized after we go to our next store, it was not a magician shop. <laughs> so then we go to the Magic Bus. <laughs> so we go all up towards Broad River. You know, we get to the Magic Bus. I walk in there. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, hey, so this is, you know, the Magic Bus. I'm like, do you guys have magicians real? They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, this is a magic show. And they said, look around. And so they got Frisbees on the wall, big glass snog, glass bong section. You know, you got, yeah, yeah. You got all this stuff. And close, yeah. I'm like, Magic Bus? I'm like, is it Magic Bus? Like, magic Bus? I'm like, oh, duh. I didn't, I it was like, it I didn't have to put the connection because they don't really say what's selling there. And I just thought, well, it could be a magic shop with all these random things and you can't see yeah. in the little picture in the store. It might just be that. Yeah. And so I ended up buying uh, like a, a, I didn't, some, a grinder, the little stone grinder. And I'm like, I'm going to walk away to something. And then I remember me and Nick now, I remember our whole story of that little grinder. It's just going to go up my shelf as our <laughs> week of memento. And then we went to Land Whirlands. But anyways, we went to Land Whirlands and uh, they had some kangaroo they brought in that was kind of chrome tan and they had a really good price on them. Yeah. Just because what they were, it's like thirty-five bucks kangaroo or something. But it, it, so get a hold of Land Worlds. They also ship out. I wouldn't recommend that really for whip making. I've done these hides before, and like they have, and you can do it. But it's just so supple and soft. Stretchy. It's, yeah, and, and the stretch is a factor. But it's so hard as Nick did trying to cut it out by hand because it flops. And I try to explain to him, he's getting a little frustrated. I'm like Nick, you're cutting this whole thing out by hand, and it's the crappiest hide you can almost deal with, in my opinion, because it's not drum stuff to where it's a little stiffer or it's not a veg tan completely where it's stiffer it's a chrome tan where it's floppy mm -hmm. and then even when you stretch it and you stretch it it'll still stretch it's like cow it'll actually re-stretch back so even though we got most of the stretch out there's still a stretch to where when he's trying to prep it by hand when you when, if you look at it it's fat but if you put your hand on it to put everything in and pull a little bit it thins on you so mm -hmm. So when you cut the other ones to match it, and you try to match strain, you have to pull on it. But he did great on it, and that $35 from Land Worlds, uh, that guy we got in any, which you guys can call him if you want to try to wear stuff. But they, that's where he got it, and he made a six-foot overlay, and he got the bellies ready and, and the core ready. And I know he's going to finish that up, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah. But that, that that's what we ended up doing. That's what we, we kind of, since the Magic Tour bus didn't work out, <laughs> by Land Worlds and... Had some fun, and they're good guys. It's a great. It's a. It's like a hundred year old shop that hasn't even changed yeah. in hundred years. Yeah. I they only it. have a dial up modem because they needed it for the credit card machine. There's yeah. no Wi Fi, internet, anything new. He gets it, the calculator. out. This is like an old timey, over a yeah. hundred year old family owned leather store in Indianapolis, and it's almost in the heart of downtown, right mm -hmm. by uh, right by uh, what's the, oh, what's that building? It's not the Colts. What's the other major I building? Think it was Fieldhouse. The Fieldhouse. Field you talking about? The Lucas Oil. Yeah, Lucas Oil. It's right. It's really near. It's right near that. It's not right a block away. I mean, it's yeah. been. It's got prime real estate almost because it just has been there for a hundred years. And they never kicked them out. Yeah, they, you guys should definitely check it out if you're ever uh, in the uh, Indianapolis uh, area. I guess. Yeah, it's and a Nick, cool place. I got Nick to watch Cobra Kai on YouTube Red. I did. I don't know if we're getting money on that. Finished it. We yeah. it's only like uh, three minute episodes and ten, so it's like a five yeah. hour. So over the days we finished it. What do you think of Cobra Kai? I liked it. It's it's it has its 
Well, first off, Blake showed it to me, and I, I immediately thought it was some kind of parody. Or like a remake, like they're using completely different yeah. people, yeah. and they're just going to go on from there in their own way. So later on, it's like, yeah, this is fun. It still has that kind of slightly cheesy, but funny and entertaining vibe that you know, um, Karate Kid had. And I was thinking, man, these characters really look like grown-up versions of, <laughs> of the two characters. And he's like, it is them. I'm like, what? Really? So I thought it was really cool that one they continued the yeah. Karate Kid series, and that you know, two they actually had the actual grown-up actors. Oh man, the as I call it, the emotional balance. Each character hits an emotional balance of going to the extreme and back under until they yeah. figure out which side of the coin they're on if they don't just straddle it well. And then the beautiful thing between Johnny and uh, Ralph Macchio's character, uh, Danielson, <coughs> is that neither one of them are bad guys. They've both been on the spectrum. They're both good guys. Johnny's just more of the Wolverine, the anti-hero, the more what you call a flawed hero. Mm-hmm. Well, Daniel's more of a, he was a flawed kid that landed more in the hero spot. You know, but they're both not, they're not bad guys, but it, oh, I can't wait till next season. Yeah, good cool. I got Steve, I forced Steve to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> what else, what else did we do? I, mean, uh, I, I watched a few Venture Brother episodes on the side. Mm-hmm. What else did we do? Been the Nile, I know. It was a fun time though, man. I think we spent more time just hanging out and just goofing That's off. That's what I did, yeah. I oh, we played some chess. Had some chess yeah, the chess. second day, got into cool. chess. That's cool. You showed me some tips mm-hmm. and tricks on starting the game. That's fun. It's too bad it wasn't warmer because I was hoping to actually crack some whips yeah. with you guys. Well, in two months, next time you come out, should yeah. be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just wasn't good. worth going out in there. Oh, yeah, and we were talking, we'll go back to this. We are talking about how important it is to crack, you know, crack. Uh, whip for a whip maker. You know, I, I agree. I agree that should be fundamentally you should be able to do some basic cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to, like we said, you need to fundamentally do the basic cracks with letting the whip do all the work. And you know that can help you find what you need to do. But it does you know it does help to have other things to see. You know what works better or not. Like and I know that was a big one for Steve when um, I first met Steve. Uh, I was on indie whip gear. It's probably my sixth year crack and getting into it. And I saw a post from a guy named Steve Townsend. That just said, I, I will make you a kangaroo bullwhip at cost, <laughs> any size you want. I mean, he was just this guy seemed like I'm like, you know what? It made, it made good me out, but like two hundred dollars for a kangaroo eight foot bullwhip or six foot or whatever I got, you know, cost to make it. I'm like, ah, that's worth it. You know, even if I had to make three or four of them, crap, I'm sure I could sell them, and get the money. You know, I'm like, you know, I wouldn't mind doing that. So I got a hold of Steve, and you know, that kind of, I kind of started the way in that. That's great. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know. I, really anything about even properly cracking a whip. I'd seen a few of Adam's videos, but I was still, at that point, uh, really holding the whip upside down compared to how Adam and like Anthony do it with the mm-hmm. belly of the whip. I, uh, I now do that. I used to have it reversed. Too. Well, a lot of people do it. Like I think Dante does it with the, be- the curve forward, not up, natural curve down, not up. And I think so does like Will Roberts and Luke Rollins. I think they all do it that way. So it's not really a wrong or right way, but it is true. I believe Anthony's with the belly faced up, or if you hold it straight near the barrel, going back instead of forward, it, has, it makes the curve a lot better. It makes it a lot easier to finesse a crack out of the whip, for sure. But, but when I wrote Steve a letter, and you know, he's talking about it, I'm just like, hey, man, how about you make me four of them? And I'm like, make, how about, well, he's like, what do you want? I'm like, well, how about what you want? I love Indiana Jones, you do too, right? It's what we're here, right? It's on a gear. I'm like, why don't you make one of each movie? You've done that? He's like, no. I'm like, make one of each one of those, and we'll go from there. And, uh, but the thing is, I had a decent collection. And so, like I said, important to seeing someone else's stuff and cracking it is I invite them out to my house 
And by then I already had him. I think he's messaged Joe. I don't know if he messaged Joe before we talked, but after that I got, you know, I messaged Joe. Joe's really always pretty good quick to talk, but we, me and Joe had a great relationship. So uh, Steve would say things and I would just go ahead and message Joe and then Joe would message back to both of us. And so Joe was even answering a lot of our questions, Steve's questions off the bat. And then after about six, seven months, I had Steve show me on basics. But I had Steve come over and see my whips. And how was that for you at that point, as you said, you hadn't really seen it was eye-opening. Well, for one thing, you had, you had at the time, you had a couple of uh, David Morgans that had never been cracked and still had the tags on them that I got to see. <laughs> wow. Stored for like, uh, he made them in 94, 93, 93, and they're never cracked. So they were actually David. David Morgans handmade. Like uh, the, people, the people who got married and was wedding gifts. Wow. Uh, knew David Morgan also. And I got it from a, a widow. And he passed away, and she like a lot of stuff. And the leather, I got a leather coat and a hat, and a sudden she's like, I just want to find a home for this. So after I bought one, I said, Well, she got. I'm like, I'll, I'll buy whatever you got because she was needing money. Yeah. So I bought whatever she had. How many did she have? Uh, she had two, two unused David Morgan tin foots, and the one he I just sat on his wall from day one. Was like she's not, he never cracked them. He said the one he cracked is this one, and I got a tin foot that was pretty much black. Wow. And it was national to begin with. Yeah. But I realized after 30 years of whip cracking, mm -hmm. and I still have the hat that that, that guy had, and it's the only real piece of gear I kept. I didn't want to get rid of the Morgans, but. I needed the money, and I, I, I sold one of them because it was very valuable. I needed the money back that I put into it and also, but, like, I sold one of the new ones, and I ended up selling the old one, but I thought I would kind of like to crack about it. You know, I'm more worried about, at that point, I started also thinking about getting my own skins and working, so I kind of sold things I wouldn't want to keep to help me become a whipmaker. And um, one of them I kept on for a year and a half, but I kept saying to myself, the money I got into this... Well, how nice it'd be to be the one guy that breaks this in from beginning to end, and David Morgan with that's just been held in time waiting for me. And I'm like, I'm going to crack it. I'm like, if I keep this too long, I'm going to crack it. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I don't care. That price tag's mine. Mm -hmm. And so I, it was hard for a year and a half or two years for me hanging on to that for just, what, a bragging right? You know what I mean? I'm like, well, I'm just holding this trophy. And even David says, whoops, are meant to be cracked. But like, I couldn't justify it. I said, you know what? The temptation's too much. So I eventually sold that to a guy. Mm -hmm. He might have cracked it, but I'm like, I can't be the guy to crack this. And, like, and I'm just sitting on it. I'd rather someone now own it for a while than enjoy it. How so, much is something like that worth today? Oh, uh, well, it's like baseball cards, any whip. Yeah. Um, they'll have their part where they're hot, and they'll have it where it's slow. Um, okay. I talked to Adam about it. I cannot remember the guy's name. But I was talking to Adam about it. He said, "Yeah, he's, Adam's been buying a lot of David Morgan's the past couple of years. Like he yeah. tried to, he's trying to find enough the right eight foot two one and other stuff. Uh -huh. But he's talking about one guy that he says really valuable whips, and he, the guy passed away. And so he's like, well, uh, he grabbed a whole bunch of them up best he could because uh, at a decent price because he said he, he just knew they'd be worth a lot of money. And they kind of were, but he said, but like eight years later or whatever, or even less, it's like, well, no one heard of them or knew about them anymore. And now he could no longer sell them for the money he got. He would always lose money from there. And he's like, I think, and I told him, I think David's gonna do the same thing. Because the problem is the David Morgan whips and the people who love them are all my age usually. And they were kids when Raiders came out. And so now they're the adults that can want to buy these whips and they're keeping them alive and they would love to have one. But the new generation is whatever Indy's coming out. They, you know, they may love it and still dig more. Who knows? But it, there's not as much of nostalgia for the kids that grew up in the past 20 years for Indiana Jones like it was for us going through the first three movies. Mm -hmm. So when the fourth one came out, that's more or less what all any kid that would have saw it. That's all they've seen. <laughs> you know, so it's not quite the same nostalgia. And so there'll be a time, and I think in 15 years, where yeah, the screen use David will go for hundreds of, you know, a hundred thousand, but all the David Morgans won't sell as much just because people will be like, well, why would I want to spend three thousand or two thousand or whatever you think it should be worth on this when I can buy a brand new one for seven hundred from another guy? Like, I don't think they'll have the reason to want it. But then gearheads like us that would want it would be like, I will pay three thousand for it. It's a lot, but I'll save up and I'll have a genuine Morgan. You know, so 
it's you just got to find that one nut that's one to go to that extreme. Not saying I'm you know finding nut sellies, but when it gets to that point in time where they're devalued, the only way to get a full value in is to actually find the right owner for that that would cherish it and see what it is for it. So, you know, that's gonna have a lot of whips and a lot of people. Like I think the future of whip. Uh, buying and making will not be David Morgan style or plain kangaroo or uh, not that kangaroo is plain but like while there will always be the western tip of wanting it to be a nice looking natural collar I think the future of things being more paracord in the world in the past 10 years uh, and it being out there in the colorful stuff and and the more the whips aren't just stuff Zorro used or he used so I think even the kangaroo is getting more colorful more, colorful, more flavorful more dynamic mm-hmm. so I think any kid or in this generation will want instead of an old classic they will always want a new one made to the colors they want and some unique thing mm-hmm. that expresses their individuality and I think that's going to do something to affect the market as far as time goes by but back to Steve being out there and seeing those whips you know he, mm-hmm. he never got to see a strain or Morgan and I don't know what else I had I think I had a Sesedo. I forget, but I had a decent collection I could show him at the time I had several strains and yeah those were the first whips that I really ever saw that were not cheap flea market toys yeah. or the I had ordered a nylon whip I did have a nylon whip that I didn't make that I had ordered uh, from a guy named Noah Allen at the time I don't think he is in business anymore but uh, the the first kangaroo whips I got to see were out there at Blake's and man it was a real eye-opener because I was doing a lot of things uh, I knew you dropped strands and you ended with six strands but the way I was doing it was was really backwards from the way anybody else does it I was leaving my strands really wide and tapering almost like the way a nylon whip maker tapers. I tapered several times before I would get to the halfway point of the whip and then I started to taper out the size of the strands so that I could achieve a smaller end point. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw these whips made by Morgan and Strain, I was like, they're, they're not dropping strands at all until roughly around the halfway point of the whip. So I'm like, okay, that that's completely backwards from what I do. And mm-hmm. what they did looked a lot nicer. So I'm like, obviously that's the way it, it, it ought to be done. The strand drops are a little bit harder when your strands are, you know, what I, at the time. Seven, six millimeter, five. Sure, I, oh, my yeah. strands are probably strand. nine yeah. millimeters wide, yeah. <laughs> you know, being the dummy that I was. I, I did, I'd cut them from the hide using Bernie's method cut the whole str- uh, hide into one big long strand and stretch everything out to the best I could and, and cut everything to length and then, uh, oh, I was trying to use the uh, Aussie strander to resize my strands. Yeah, I did that before. And <laughs> you, yeah. I had to feed the end of the strand and run the strander all the yeah, way up. Yeah, I did that. And the problem I had was even with the top gauge, the, the, the razor, whether it just wasn't sharp enough or I wasn't holding something right, the, the razor blade was literally just folding the strand mm-hmm. out of the way. It just wouldn't bite. And it yeah. wouldn't grab into yep. the strand. Yep. So I just said, you know what, I'm braiding it up as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, being, you know, yeah. the guy was like, what, this is my second kangaroo whip or something? Mm-hmm. Second, first or second kangaroo whip? I don't know. But uh, I just left them the width they were and braided it up. So, yeah, I had strands that were nine millimeters. When you're trying to drop a strand that's nine millimeters, you're going to end up with, with a gap, gap. <laughs> where that strand doesn't come around, it goes under, <laughs> right. and this strand is not, it's too big to get shoved up into that You'd be bunched for two feet know. to not get a gap. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm looking at these Morgans and strains going that, you know, this is a much better way to do it because where they drop their strands it looks nice and clean it was it was hard for me at that time not knowing really or not having developed any real kind of eye it was hard for me to find their strand drops and then I'd find them and be like wow that is so clean how do you do that you know and it basically just seeing whips for the first time 
from a, a lot of different makers. I, I saw, like he said, I saw he had Victor Tella whips and Joe Strain whips, and some of them I didn't like right out of the gate. Some of them I loved and couldn't believe that somebody could either. I mean, there was a Joe Strain whip you had that looked like it was made by a machine. The scene mm. was. I've heard that from a lot of people. Like, it's that looks ridiculous. Like it's made by a machine. It, it does. It looks absolutely the the seam is. You can hold that whip up and just sight down it, and, and the seam's perfect all the wow. way down. It's yeah. nuts. And the tightness, and it's smooth and just, as the a taper, glass. and the fine point yeah. that you used. On yeah, I've seen a lot of those. Working art is what it is, man. The guy functional art. Yeah, yeah. But that that was an eye opener, and I I would say that's a that was a very valuable lesson. Just seeing what could be done raised the bar for me mm -hmm. and said clearly what you're doing is trash and and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that the whips that I had made were trash mm -hmm. they worked they were a bit heavy and they weren't very elegant mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination but it just showed me that here's what here's what a, a really good whip looks like this is what you should try to strive for and at least try to get near parameters and, and that's think, how you yeah. should look at these whips you see from others like you see something you like you don't need a copy again you need you just need to see what you like about it and try to make it in your own way but the thing is it's like you need to get in your parameters it just you just need to be in a similar parameter and find out how you can adjust it from that yeah it uh, let me know what to what I should start trying to expect out of my own work mm -hmm. and uh, strand prep was always my biggest problem I hated the fact that you know I loved braiding the leather and my favorite part of it was when you would roll the whip and you mm -hmm. could see that yeah what leather does when you roll it it's so much different than my experience with nylon nylon obviously there's a difference when you roll it but with leather to me even the first time I just braided four strands over a core and rolled it I was hooked that's when I said okay leather's the way to go yeah, yeah. but uh so it just molds those edges in and just makes it all smooth yeah yeah I didn't I didn't want to do things by hand uh and it is a skill that I I have done a lot of um but not enough of to be really good at so that's one of those things that I can do, and it. Um, well, he still does stuff by hand. He's saying he's not doing by hand, but he'll he'll use a jig, like a Peter Thorndike jig. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not using the infernal beveling machine no. or a little thing attached. He's still doing no. it, you know, by hand, but he's got a jig. Which mm -hmm. it don't matter how you do it. Do whatever works best for you guys. We're not that, saying one technique versus another. That that right there, what you just said, is one of the single most important lessons that I learned when I first got that nylon whip from Noah Allen. Um, and I realized that I was more obsessed with whip making than just having a whip and cracking it. Um, I tried to do, I tried to, I, I got some nylon, actually I started with vinyl, but anyway, long story short, I ended up getting into nylon and I started braiding some nylon stuff and I started to really pester this Noah Allen guy. And he was real nice and answered some emails and we even talked on the phone at, at length one night. But the mistake that I was making was trying to find out exactly how he made this whip. And the one thing that he said to me that it, it hit me as soon as he said it, and I don't know why it didn't occur to me before, he was like, you just need to find what works for you. And he was like, his point was he could explain to me exactly what he did and draw me pictures and write down links and diagrams and everything. But you, you don't have that block. His, his point was... You haven't ran that block as much as he did. Yeah, you're, 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 you're beating a dead horse. Just, and you're a different person. Just, just throw something together find out what you like find out what you want to do find out how long you want that ball chain to be how yeah. you know what I mean and so I, I did I was like you know what I'm gonna worry less about exactly what he does and I'm just gonna find what works for me and, and I think that comes to you know that goes to that same point about it's not what he did or how he did it yeah it's yeah. why what he did is done and find your own way to survive because personal preference and, uh, and ability yeah ability is a big you know it's like uh you, when you have, 
I've learned from proper Joe, you know, watching Joe's braiding technique that you can pull less than I thought you ever would and braid tighter than I ever thought would ever be done. <laughs> so it comes to how well that technique comes into play too, you know, and so, you know, again, um, you know, it, it, the practitioner is more important than the technique. So with this, um, Joe being a full-size man, I mean, you don't have to be, you could be a, a featherweight, a 12-year-old kid and make a whip, you could, but I do say that with some things, if you had Joe's technique at his level, but he made something else, you could do it at a 11-year-old kid. A 11-year-old kid without that technique is going to have to use more arm or more body to pull. And 100 pounds isn't the same as a 250-pound adult pulling or a girl that only weighs 135. You know, you can always find ways to braid better. I'm not saying any girl can't braid right or any kid. I'm just saying I think that's another thing, too. It's like, well, a kid that weighs 110 pounds and he's a 13-year-old kid making whips, um, you know, he doesn't have the body that can do the same strength pull. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have the weight if you want to use your weight. So, again, you, you have, who you are and what you're capable of sometimes will really more dictate what, what you have to do to do that. You know, that's a big one. Like, you may be great at cutting out of a hide, but you can't prep by hand. No problem. What are you going to do? Well, you don't prep by hand. You just burn into sheen. Fine. It's like you're going to find things that you are good at. And, and, and keep making those your success, but the things you, you know you're having frustration, well, you're gonna do one of two things. You're either gonna, when you hit that wall, figure out how to beat it, or you do a workaround and use a different device. And so that's a big factor too. Again, like Steve, well, I can't do that like him. You don't need to. You need to do it in a way that you think you can make it happen. And so like I said, you know, I, like I have my preference what I think makes better with, and I never just cut and slang when I call it, you know, copy and paste to do something, or YouTube copy and pasters, but just YouTube's the only thing that you can really open up and then copy and paste. Like all the books you get, like David Morgan's Whips and Whip Making, that is the most ironic title to a book. He does cover whips and whip making history, but there is no, nothing in that shows you how to make a whip. So you buy a book, I'm finally gonna put $20 in my education in a book, and you buy it thinking you'll learn how to make a whip like David Morgan, and there's not a thing. You know, Ron Edwards' book is good, you know, but like, you know, like, you know, there's the, you still, if you did Ron Edwards, not all his, his bullet design is the best, but it's like you still are copy and paste. You have to, someone show you how to punch and show you how to block. And then eventually you realize, well, you may even find out that this karate guy is a joke, so you're like, wow, I don't even need to block or punch or kick, or who knows what it is. So it's like, as you find other people, you may have the right source to begin with, you may not have a great source to begin with. You need to be mindful of that, and the only way is to find a few other sources. That way you don't know, that way you may have a better idea who you should start emulating, I mean, even if you don't. Like, if you can find any whip maker around you guys, even if they learn from YouTube, just like you did, even they watch the same videos you did, everyone made 100 whips, whatever or less, you should find a whip maker near you and have a field day with that whip maker. Because even though you probably learned the same video and watched the same thing, which I'm not saying you did, but let's just say you did, odds are that guy will have done and come up with workarounds that you have not. So even if you don't get any better at what you're trying to tackle together, he will find things that you'll see will make your life simpler. And the same thing, because you are a person that has found your own workarounds, and he'll be it a benefits person. Each other, you know, benefits so each So that other. you can't help but be beneficial, even if the whip maker is worse than you. Even if you think this whip maker is new and you've done, you know, I've done 200 whips and it's like he's done 10 or, or he's done 50 well you know what it's not the qua the quantity it is the quality mm -hmm. peter thorndike's a good example i believe steve townsend is a good example of that and, you know it's not the quantity it's, it, you know it's the quality but even then even if he's worse than you this guy may make a crappy whip and he sucks and he's fast and loose but he may have just found some ways to organize his time that is quicker than you are and you may take something that had nothing to do with the quality of a whip mm -hmm. that improves you at home so sure you, yeah or yeah, yeah. my favorite phrase the wisdom of a fool will set you free 
<laughs> so sometimes just watching somebody do something idiotic, you see that idiocy that you've done, and then you have a revelation of rad. And this comes from a favorite phrase of mine, which is, a wise person will learn more from a foolish question than a fool will ever learn from a wise answer. Mm. That means you, you, know, you can learn a lot just by watching fools. I'm not calling you guys what makers fool. I'm just saying if you did watch somebody that was a fool, it's like, there's a revelation to go off in your own head because you will see your foolishness in them. And like, oh my, I just saw I do this. And like, I just came up with a better idea. Yeah, it's always, I, I always take it as a compliment when, you know, a, a Ruhide wit maker says that they, they've learned something from my videos because nylon is, is such a, it's a lot simpler than, than kangaroo, you know, so it's always, well, it must have been a little way I did something that they, they were able to use. It's and what, always a compliment. You know, the old phrase, what's familiar becomes foreign. Yeah. So every one of you guys, I bet you whip makers at one point think, well, everyone does it this way. Whatever I'm yeah, whatever right, I just right, said right. there, you had a few things go in your head that you think everyone does that way. Mm -hmm. And then, then one day you see they don't like, oh, there's another way to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I never thought about that way. Yeah. You know, it just, there's, there's a lot of ways to accomplish the same goal. I'm going to town. There's not just one road. Yeah. There's one simple road or one direct road, or this may be the best road, mm -hmm. but multiple roads will get you there. Definitely. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Well, um, what do you say we take a break? We'll take a break. We'll pee, and uh, we'll continue. All right. Let's do so. Make it show number one. All right, guys. We are back. And uh, what do you say we answer some questions? We can start on that. Roll them. Sweet. All right. Truth or dare? <laughs> <laughs> That would have been great if that's what somebody started on. All right, uh, well, the, I believe these are in order. Uh, bear with me. First one says, from Johnny, uh, I think it's Ogren, right? I believe it's pronounced. Sorry if I pronounce anyone's name wrong. I, I, I've, I've heard Johnny's voice in person, but every time I've talked to Johnny from like a Facebook message, which I think I've done before, well, it's always, I never, he never says, hi, it's Johnny Ogren. <laughs> so I never hear his name. I don't say, what, how do you say your name again? This is Witchcraft but, Whips. Yeah, Johnny Witchcraft Whips. Witchcraft. And I think I've heard him talk, but I don't know if he, if I never remember him saying how he said it on a video. But I've watched a lot of his videos too, but I'd like if he did, I space it, but it's Ogren. We mean well, Johnny, if we, sorry if we got it wrong. I don't, I'm not sure what it is either, to be honest. I love Johnny. Uh, you are Witchcraft Whip, right? We're trying to work out. Uh, I love him, man. He's, he's a good guy. I really love him. Anyways, uh, so uh, he wrote, for all of you, you know, he, I, I think he knows all of you. He said, uh, if I were to place an order and say, make a really nice whip for yourself, he basically saying, I'll pay for it because you deserve a treat, mate. <laughs> and others are like, if, I, if you can make whatever you want, you're not going to sell it. It's just yours. Okay, like this is the whip you finally get to make for yourself. This way of saying, what would you build for yourself? And we want specifics. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hmm. Think about that. Now, while you're thinking, so uh, good friend Keith Smith uh, he, he, he messaged me and he said, hey, he says, I can't wait to hear your answers. <laughs> he says, I'm so glad to see you. And I said, well, I'll tell you, I've been in your shoes before and, and, and I, can, I can think about all your guys' ideas. And I said, you know what? Uh, you're probably going to be so underwhelmed. It's going to be disappointing when you hear the answer because you're going to imagine some magical device <laughs> so fantastic like no one's ever seen it. It's probably going to be something mundane. But before you guys answer, before you guys answer, I thought we could do this first. You ready? We are going to guess what we think each other would make mm. before we tell each other what we would make. Huh. I think I, okay, I want Nick to go first because I'm around the seat all the time. I believe I know what he'd make. I can be off. But okay. I believe I know what he would make. So why don't you... You want me to guess what you guys would Well, make? definitely guess on him first. Steve can okay. go whenever he wants on both of us. I don't think Steve would know what I would make. But I, 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 I think no I know exactly idea. what he would make. Because mm. we I talk about it. I've asked Steve before. Because <laughs> he knows. <laughs> Steve, I th 
I think you would make for yourself. Oh man, I think so. I think you you like the longer whips. I think you maybe a ten or twelve footer, probably a you know, twelve plat raiders. That's my guess. I've, I've seen you cracking the longer ones. You seem to enjoy cracking those better than the shorter whips. Don't answer. <laughs> you can't answer. We all just tell everyone what we think okay. the other person gets, and then once we've all guessed what each one gets, then we give the answer. All right, so you say 10 to 12 foot Raiders. Yeah. Uh, Personally, I say I think that's a very good guess. And I think Steve Townsend would have said an 8 foot originally for a long time. Mm. But over the years, Steve would go with a 10 foot Raiders. Mm. And as far as that, He'd take any Raiders he'd want to make. You know, he just wants to make it and have it. But I think he would want to have a darkened training knot, and he'd probably want to make it more like the streets of Cairo if he had to make it. And he'd definitely want to have a high flare on the indie handle, and he'd want a slim profile. <laughs> he'd probably want a 20 millimeters on the handle, or 22 on the tranny. And it'd probably be a nice, uh, thicker Raiders heel knot. And, I, you know, and as far as that, that's about all I give. And he'd want a natural colored fall. I don't know how accurate I am. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really made me wrong. Like, this is the best, I guess. I, and he didn't really tell me quite like that. We've talked about it before. But I think it's pretty similar. All right. We're done, now, we're done guessing for you now. Okay. So now I got to guess for you or, or Steve, you guess for us. Yeah, I have no idea. I would, I would imagine Blake would probably, if he was making something for himself, he would probably, in my mind, maybe finish that Stranger Things whip. He, he's was working on for a minute I don't know but I don't know what it would be how long or what length handle I have no idea what mm. what what he really wants or likes in a whip I think I know he likes a longer handle on a bull whip but he might want to make himself a stock whip I have no idea that's what, what I was what thinking he would want to make yeah, for yeah. himself man I don't know he might yeah. want to he might want to make a four plat uh three footer or something I don't mm. know <laughs> you know now we didn't have to say handle length on the Raiders that we both guessed the Raiders anyway. Yeah, yeah, because the Raiders is always an eight inch right, nail spike. Right, just right. letting everybody know that when you that's why we never mentioned what length the handle was for Steve, because that's there's only if you're making an indie style it's an eight inch. All right. So yeah, I'm I'm not sure what 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 Blake would want either, you know. No idea. I feel like a pair a nice matched pair of stock whips is definitely not out of the question. It's what would he want that he doesn't already have. Yeah. That's right, the question. Right. Yeah, uh, that, that can't be the problem. Uh, it's easy. For, it's easy to know what I would like. If you had no whip, I don't have a whip. You know what I mean? Everybody. Yeah, I think you might want a, a twenty-four plat whip. I think you appreciate the higher plat counts, Blake. Not that you enjoy making the higher plat whips, but I, I think you, I think you like them. Now, what whip would that be, though? Twenty-four plat, high plat. Now, mm, keep going. Yeah, twenty-four plat. I think. I'm not saying you're hot or cold. I'm just saying. Okay. Now, because you want specifics, yeah. so you got. I want. I think <laughs> this is a fun little game, yeah. right, gentlemen? I knew when this came up. I'm like, this is how we're gonna do it. I think some red in there for sure. Red, black, maybe some, some brown in there, kind of. Uh, a pattern like that, ten inch handle maybe, I think ten inch handle, and I think you would want it to be. Have a fairly large swell at the transition. That's my guess. Taper down pretty pretty fine points. Maybe. Are you saying more like a bull whip, like a nail spike, or a target whip with a thing? Mm, that's what I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. But I think you would like the strands to taper down pretty small. Have a, I don't know, probably a brown fall on it. That's my guess for, for Blake Bruning's uh, preference. 
What length was it? Did you come up with a length? Uh, I think I said eight feet. Eight feet? Uh, maybe I didn't say anything, but yeah, eight feet. All right. Steve? Well, I, I, I don't think he would want to go with eight feet, but yeah. that may be ba based on some past conversations. <laughs> I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny this. I, I have <laughs> <laughs> So what would Nick want? Now, that, that becomes the question. What, would I, what do I think, I guess, Nick would make for himself? And I don't know. Nick might want to make himself a nylon whip. He might want to make himself a kangaroo whip again. I don't really know what Nick would make. Nick would himself. maybe want to we'll make something that's ever been made that can actually either shoot energy balls or fly into space. He would want to whip exactly that he gets to hang glide or save while he's trying to fly an airplane and he has to <laughs> jump out of that airplane. It would be something like that, Nick, because Nick is a pilot and he's one bad ash. I'll tell you that. Thank you. Keep going, Steve. Oh, yeah, go know. with. Uh, you gotta get specific. Nylon, we gotta nail it. Like this yeah. is a guessing game. I'll, give, I'll make it easier. Uh, 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 no, all right, all right. You need to be quiet. Okay. <laughs> go all ahead. Right. No help. Right? Did it's I give you help? What I do? I kept my mouth quiet. And I put my fist over it. All right. Can't help my kingdom expression. This is poker. Okay. You can't be like nodding your head like I would do that. You, you can't. You can't give up anything. Okay. All right. All right. Go, Steve. I don't know. <laughs> I think I've established. Well, you're right. No, you're not I have no idea. You can give up wants. and say something stupid. Yeah. But you got to guess, though. You ain't leaving until we all. Because I'm going to do it. Values mm. the fun. All right, I'll, I'll go with a seven foot target whip. Uh, red and black, no wrist loop. Um, with a 12 inch handle. I think guessing. I guess there's a question too. Here's the thing: Is it a whip like he said? Is a whip you don't even have? So it's like, well, when I make something, I need to function because, like, well, if I need to make a whip, why well, just make what I really need right now as opposed to what I want to make? So if we're going off what you would want to make to be like the only whip you get, that's how I'm looking at it too. Let's look at it like this is the one whip I'll ever get. Like I have no whips. This is the only whip I'm ever gonna make. It's the only whip I'm ever gonna crack. What would it be? Let's think. So that's how we're looking at it. Right? I think that's what his would be. Is what I guess for Steve. I gotta guess yours though. So think about it like that. It's the one whip, the only whip you'll ever own or play with again. That's how you need to think about it. What would that whip be that you make? I think I got Steve's all right. I'm not sure. <laughs> all right. Now, Steve needs a guess for me, and I need a guess for Nick. I would, you know what I would have thought? I would think if you got stuck with one thing, I think it would have been a, a set of nylon stock whips. And I would have guessed probably five or five and a half footers and I think he would have tried to make them more like the ones I showed you Adam makes, which he doesn't make for everyone, was with the satin keepers on the handles. I think you would want to be able to make something as slick as Adam did it. Ah, but with the Dacron, now you would make it. You would make it with the, just like that, but with the Dacron ones you saw at my house, five and a half footers. If you can make anything, you could make yourself. Like you have the talent, you maybe don't have. Which yeah, I know you have that right, talent. Okay. Like if you can make the thing, you could make yourself. You know. Oh, you got nothing. Young town doing me, but you know you'd want it something similar to that. That's what I think. I mean, you can't make that one too. That's what I think you'd make. I could be wrong. Okay. Steve, you got a guess for me? I would guess you would probably make yourself some stock whips. Probably a matched pair of stock whips. Keep going. Specifics. The only specifics I could give other than that would I would imagine they would be somewhere around maybe five or six feet long. Um, with the Plat handles and maybe that that long knot that that you've been getting down. I don't know. That's a, a total total guess. He's more of a stock whip guy than I am. I, I'm not really into stock whips myself. Although I should be, but I forgot to add collars. Mm, yeah. With yours and, and with yours. 
Callers? I don't know. I think you'd go two. Would you go two tone? I bet you'd go two tone with just one accent. I don't think you'd want to go two 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 tone or, or a full two tone. But I could be wrong. I'd almost guess more of like a a black and a brown. Steve, what color of my stock would be? Natural and black. Hmm. Did that answer everybody in the callers too? Yeah. I think it. Okay, now. <laughs> This is probably gonna have a more fun conversation, so we pick one person to go, and then we'll probably even spot a little bit. Who wants to go first? I'll go first because it'll be pretty easy. <laughs> you guys nailed me. I don't, you know, I'm a, I'm an indie uh, nut, and uh, don't own an indie whip, and that's probably if I could make myself any whip, I'd go for a ten foot Raiders. What about now, what? Now, with whether or not I would actually try to get a darkened training knot, I don't know. I would be more worried about trying to get the handle nice and small and then that swell before the knot I'd be more worried about that than the actual color of the knot so long as the knot mm. turned out good I want the overall look of the flare to be a right look for him yeah I would want it to look <coughs> as much like that 10 foot yeah. Joe Strain yeah, that's always more important than the dark knot because the knots can be darkened on their own later yeah. yeah that's that's what I would go for yeah. now it would either be that or if I had to make myself any other whip and it wasn't an indie whip I would have to make myself at least I'd have to get myself a Zorro with a Zorro braid and, a, and a, not necessarily the actual Zorro concho and ferrule, but just a silver ferrule with some 7.6 interweave knots. With a 12 inch handle? With a with a 12 inch handle in black, preferably. But but no, for sure it'd be the Raiders. Yeah. What about you, Nick? And 10 foot precisely, right? 10 foot for sure, yeah. I, I, I it used to be 8. I, I was a big fan of the 8 footer when I first got started and then I made a couple 12 footers. I had to make I made a 12 footer and you know I had to use two hides for the overlay and it, it turned out when I shellacked them they were different colors yeah they looked but good. they looked identical when you uh, uh, okay. put them next to each other they're like they're That's identical they look great yeah and yeah. they cut them both out six out of each up. one put together looked like a complete two-tone put the shellac yeah. on it I remember that Adam owned that whip for a while but I had to make yeah. another 12 foot right the guy didn't want it I'm like I can understand that so I had to make another one mm. and uh just from you know test cracking them and playing with them, the 12 foot whip, I'm like, this is way too long, this is way too long. And then I went back yeah. to an eight foot and I'm like, dear good God, this is way too short. <laughs> and Blake was nice enough to loan me for a while a 10 foot strain that he had. And uh, that whip, man. I said, crack it all you want, brother. And it looked fantastic. <laughs> it was at the shape, the dimensions, the look of it and everything. It's just the epitome to me of what a really good Raiders whip should be. Now I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way really about that uh, 25th anniversary you have. Mm -hmm. It's it still looks very in well, because it is. They call it the 28th anniversary or 29th. Whatever, whatever, whatever. whatever. But yeah, the the 10 footer that you loaned me for a while, man, it was it, it just had different uh, characteristics. You liked characteristics. about how that one was yeah. just different yeah. from the other one because if it's I a could pick product. any way that my whips turned out every time when I made it indie, that's what they look like. <laughs> as <laughs> bad as that is, but yeah, yeah, it looked more Morgan than some Morgans I've seen. Mm -hmm. I loved it anyway. As much as I like stock whips, and I am trying to learn how to do two-handed whip cracking uh, better, um, I would have to say that, yeah, a six or seven foot target whip would be my choice, definitely. Um, nylon would, I guess, be my preference because that's my strength, but if I had to choose, if I was a really good rue hide whip maker, I'd probably make it in rue, maybe even in 24 plat. Um, I'm not really, I don't care too much about fanciness for my own personal whip like I if it looks neat the, the plaiting is neat and it cracks well right. and rolls out good I'm happy mm -hmm. 
Um, but it would be nice, I guess, to, to have some fancy plating to show people as far as marketing mm -hmm. what I do. Right. So, uh, but yeah, Steve, you pretty much hit it on the head as far colors. as colors go. Black and red are, are my two favorite um, <laughs> colors. Nice and uh, I, I, even though there are many choices when it comes to nylon, flashy colors, pretty much any. Yeah, color I mean, you pretty name. I mean, any, any yeah. two way, any way you can do the pixels and the thread, you can, they can yeah. do it. They can paint it. Even though you have all those options with synthetic material, I tend to kind of gravitate more towards traditional mm -hmm. natural colors like brown. Over brown. time, it, to me, it's like uh, you go to a rock concert and you love it, and then you get older, it's like it's too loud, it's cool my ears, and it's not that impressive. Yeah. And, and it's, so it's fun, like you're, yeah, but <laughs> you get tired of the flashiness. And so, yeah. and it, the one thing that never changes is things that are like, you go to a house, I don't care how old the house is, it's all made out of wood, and all you've ever seen is just paint or other mm -hmm. stuff. You're just like, it's made out of wood. It's yeah. a traditional feel that it just never yeah. goes out of style. Yeah. But I think, Steve, you said, did you say 12-inch handle? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, that's about my favorite thing to do with with a whip is actually target whip. Yeah. So you pretty much target whip twelve inch handle. I, I six love to seven cutting feet. targets, man. That's that's one of my favorite. That is probably my favorite. Thing and, be, and so this kangaroo would be the same same model, same color. Yeah. Yeah. Same. You know, nice smooth taper, um, pretty sleek design. Kind like I those Joe Strain white ones that I got. Yes, that I got from Adam that were Vince Bruce's. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. were. Oh, I love those. Yeah, every time we have a, a whip meet and we start snuffing out candles, I I've loaned those to Nick or Leo or Steve, yeah. <laughs> and other people have used them. But I use like you guys, and they're, every time they're like, "Thanks, brother." Like they they don't even use their own whip if we're doing it together. Like we're all trying to take turns snuffing the same candle. Yeah, they'd really have those white ones. Every time they do it, they're like, "I'll use the white one." Yeah, <laughs> I prefer a a, a, yeah. a more loose, broken uh, feel. Like the whips that I make aren't super tight at the transition. Uh, I yeah, that's, kind of that's one thing I learned from Adam that, that surprised me. Mm -hmm. And and Blake had a way of explaining that that really made sense. And that was, you know, basically, it, it really, I, I, I tend to be a bit neurotic sometimes. And, and Adam, we got together with him one time there in Illinois. And, mm -hmm. and uh, he, he picked up one of my whips and, and his comment real quick was, wow, this whip is super stiff. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I, it just it just bothered me for, mm -hmm. for like a day or so. Like, what did he mean? Is it bad? What's going on? So I sent him a message, and I was like, you know, I noticed you said this was kind of super stiff. What are your thoughts, you know? And he's like, well, you know, overall, I think throughout the entire length of the whip, you're just you're just pulling too hard. You're braiding this too tight. Mm -hmm. And at the transition, you should do that maybe right before the fall hitch, but, but back off a little bit, then the whip will flow a little bit better, and it won't necessarily be a limp noodle, but it doesn't need to be as stiff as it is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Blake explained it like, from Adam's point of view, that makes sense because Adam is the kind of guy who doesn't want to buy the stiffest whip in the world and spend the time to get it broken right. in <laughs> he wants so he right can use it in a show. Yeah. He wants to be able to pick up a whip and throw it and, and have it already feel loosened up and limber. And when I got, I ordered where some it's, stuff. It uh, kind of starts where it's already slightly broken in. Like say, yeah, right. if it was so tight, it would take, let's see, four months to break in to where it's nice and supple he would want to be already two months down mm -hmm. so he just plays with it for a few weeks and gets the feel for it and it loose and it just loosens up just slightly it just gets a little quicker right yeah i ordered some stock whips off of him and that was the first thing i noticed was that um, when i got them that they felt to compared to what i was used to in a brand new kangaroo whip um they, they felt very broken in mm -hmm. they were nylon yeah, almost like they weren't braided tight but then you pick it up and you squeeze it and like, okay this them. is braided tight they're 
mm-hmm. you know they're they're not uh, loose or yeah it's not like a rope well braided all. he makes yeah. well he, I, nylon yeah Adam Winrich's but they nylon stock whips are my preferred mm-hmm. stock whip all around they do mm-hmm. flow like water they do they're, they're real easy to use right out of the, right out of the get you don't have to spend any time trying to get that whip to break mm-hmm. in and yeah. and do what you want it to do because the way he braids it and so you know I, I've tried that off and on here and there I tend to just braid everything pretty darn tight mm-hmm. but but uh you know I don't know everybody likes a different thing but yeah I just thought that was interesting that this professional guy Adam Winrich and he'll straight up tell you that there are too many whip makers that place so much emphasis on pulling as tight as they can instead of other things that they really need more work on and yeah I, I'm sure that I've definitely been guilty of that in the past mm-hmm. but I owner yeah I, d- I didn't realize you know that he did prefer a whip that was that close to the transition because you guys both cracked that black nylon one that I made mm-hmm. in LA this year I Adam cracked it and he, he it was one of his favorites that I let him back and I was like you know I thought he would maybe comment and say I, I would prefer it to be stiffer but no I guess that's just his taste he it likes that loose broken in feel and I I do too actually I think that one's a little loose for me personally even um, could have used a little more tension but uh, yeah, it was interesting to find that. Nick's talking about a, some whip that when he just showed up at my house uh, two days ago, he it was a black whip, and it's a nylon whip. Yeah, it's, it's target whip he made. Get it out. Okay. And so it's got like a 10-inch handle. It's pretty much a black whip. And he, he showed it to me when he, uh, as soon as he came in, and you know we set the things down, hugging everything. He's like, hey, check this out. And and so we're in my 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 main whip, whip room right now. And I, I, so I can only really kind of uh, do uh, overhead overhand flicks. So I get out there, and I do an overhand flick, and I roll it out, and I said, that has the best energy, I made a comment about that, how awesome it was, like the energy, the weight distribution to make that energy flow was amazing. Like, I, it's gotta be one of the slickest I've ever felt in nylon, and I'm not gonna lie, that it was amazing, like really, whatever you did there, appreciate don't it. stop that formula, Okay. or whatever happened, hopefully you can replicate it more often, because whatever it was, was amazing. It's good. I, I would say what you needed, like you found a perfection, what I would call in, in understanding taperology. <laughs> but, but what it is, is I would say if you just braided a little tighter, it would have been more perfect. But that, that, and that's the important thing in a whip to me is the whip that you want made to do what the job is, that the taper appropriately functions that way. So for a nice, supple, like Adam would love that because I bet he could volley with that better than he could almost any other whip. And that's why he would love it. But that's not why someone else would love it. Like, well, you're like, well, I'm targeting. So you would be like, well, I want it to be more stiff so it's more accurate. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he can take a loose whip and he's like uh, one of those rhythm- rhythmatic gymnastics with the little stick with the, <laughs> the ribbon. He can just make that little looseness do any shape he wants at any time at any angle. Well, I was amazed that a lot of the whips that Adam, he I mean, uses and has you know. in his collection, the transition is just gone. Mm-hmm. And and when he picks up that whip and starts cracking it, you, there, there's no. It ain't like he's struggling to get it to do something. It's not like that whip or doesn't everything. have any life left in it anymore. Right. He can, you know, it, he loves it. That, that's what he prefers because it's just going to be easier to throw. It's nice and limbered up. And however he works as a human being, and a whip being an extension of his hand, that resonates with his style the most. All right. Um, I had to take a quick break, guys. Sorry, my uh, startup disk was full. Didn't even think we were creating a file that large. But anyways, um, we're back. We're back. <laughs> we're back at it. 
Alright, uh, we left off, unless I remember. You said your whip, he said his whip, I didn't say mine. Yes. Well, my, I'm a bullwhip man at heart. 12 plat is perfect. Not, no one needs more than a 12 plat. Uh, if you want a, six a 16 plat, 24 plat, higher plat, I think if I was to spend, like I have spent a lot of money on these whips, don't get me wrong. Like I bought a Jetta Strain 24 plat that, that was the second whip he entered in, uh, he entered this in the Rocky Mountain Leather Debut competition. Uh, I want to say it was 2014 when he won with it, and I, that's one of my favorite bulls of all time. But, but uh, uh, as far as black count, I think only when you want above 12, and even 12 does a great two-tone and what you can get out of handle. But I think everything above 12, you should really only be getting that high black count because you're wanting a really elaborate handle and a handle design. That's why I think it's the only reason for all that stuff. Mm. In my opinion, it's really necessary because you want something to make it special. Otherwise, 12 plat makes a better whip. Um, like an 8 plat has a uh, 8 strands, or a 16 plat ends on an 8. I mean, a 16 plat ends on an 8 plat point. Usually an 8 plat ends on an 8 plat point. Either way, you have a thinner strand point at the very end, and it's usually, because it's got more strands instead of a 12 that ends on a 6 plat, the 6 plat point is usually wider strands. So that makes up for the fact that the 6 plat is only six strands and they're a little wider so it takes the abuse of six strands to take. Well an eight plat having eight strands might be a little slimmer because it makes a finer point to match the six plat but it also has an extra you know a couple strands to make it stronger. So the higher plat to me doesn't make necessarily a weaker tip but I think a 12 plat is perfect because those six strands cut the way they should be from a 12 to a 6 is a perfect plat point. And you can make it really thin or really thick but that's more than enough and a 12 plat I think is just the perfect plat because then you'll do the general formula of going from when you start to drop strands around the middle point, you can finish the rest of the whip and drops the way we like to do it. So 12 is perfect for that. An eight plat usually doesn't have a drop, so you're breaking the whole thing. And as far as whip size, it would, uh, I cut my teeth on a six foot Gus Seseda. Uh, well, I had an eight foot Joe Strain, so I took it back. I had that first and I cut my teeth on an eight foot Joe Strain, but my love for six foot, the next one I got was my beater. I got a Gus Seseda six foot, this was about 11, 12 years ago. And that's when I cut my teeth with and I learned to snuff candles. And that is one of my favorite things to do is snuffing mm -hmm. candles. That's probably my favorite thing to do with a bullwhip and getting people to do. Because anything I can have them do in one day, which you can do in one hour hanging out, if you've never cracked a whip, you'll snuff a candle with me. And that one thing is the only thing I think people would really be like, man, I just did that. And I'm like, I was feeling like it. That felt good. But I love snuffing candles and I learned on a six foot is my favorite. And that also was short enough for me to start figuring out volleys and stuff. And to me, a six foot was my favorite whip, and a t and if I'd only pick two, it'd be a ten foot and a six foot bull whip because I like a ten foot to see how slow I can cast it, and still get to roll out as slow as I can to get a nice pop. And over the years, I, I as Steve said, though, I'm not an eight foot fan. I do not like eight foot bull whips. Um, I you know I get the eight foot indie, and that's why it's a big one because people love eight foots. And my first one was an eight foot Joe Strain, and it was my most treasured whip of all time. <laughs> but I think an eight foot is a nice link, you know, because he he wore a ten and he used an eight. So a lot of gearheads like us want a ten foot and eight foot. They want a ten foot because they want to really recreate what he really was seeing in most of the scenes. But they want an eight foot for one reason: it's smaller than a ten foot. You can't throw a ten foot around as well as an eight foot. And so an eight foot is what you usually want to crack with if you're doing it. And it helps do his routine that he did in Cairo, Sweet Cairo. But I don't like the eight foot as far as cracking because um, with the six foot, I feel it's perfect for fast routines and targeting. And when you get to an eight foot, I feel it's a little too much to root. Not that you can't do these routines, but it's a little harder for somebody to do that. And it's a little harder to target. And so when you go to 10 foot, I'm like, well, you can do everything with a 10 foot you can, but it's a lot to throw up in the air for a cattleman. So I tend to like to use a 10 foot more for like flicking and arrowheads and other cool things in a way that 
I just see how how little I can put into it and let that whole thing along. But as the years went by, ten foot wasn't long enough anymore. And I just like a twelve foot. I'd say twelve foot and six foot. Mm-hmm. So I would go with a six foot. Still, I, I would almost not make it quite like an indie because I don't want the big bulbous indie knot. So a scaled down indie style would be pretty accurate. And I would probably take an eight inch handle, but the years just changed to a ten. And now six foot's too long for me now. I, as I'm liking shorterness, I'd rather have it be a five, or well, really a five and a half foot. Indie style representing like a six and a half or a six foot indie with the scale down heel palm one. I can handle a 10 inch and I'll be all right, but an eight is more than fine. And I would probably take it in black. And right now, I would say if I made this whip and I kept it, I w- it would be a, my Statesman prototype that I made for uh, Loop Rollins. And what I did on that one is uh, the, the prototype I originally made to try the, the idea of getting the cap on the back so it had a Statesman logo for him. Uh, this wasn't for the movie. Okay, this was when I just made, you know, I made a line and talked about it. I wanted to make one. like, somebody should have made this whip. And so I have the Luke Rollins signature. But I, by, it was all silver. It wasn't one which was silver with like a gold trim. And I ended up making that whip as the way I thought Luke would want the whip. And, and uh, I think that's the one I, yeah. No, I didn't ship that one out to him. That was my prototype. And then I made another prototype for him and sent that one out. And that one was saddle. And then after he cracked it, he said, uh, you know, he said, I had a hard time spinning it because I did some things that I thought would help out. But the weight was just off the way I had a hard time throwing it. He said, it cracks like a dream. But he said, man, when I th- it's just a hard time getting it to come 180. And so he sent that back and made a prototype. He said, also, I'd like it in a different color because on stage I'm thinking white. So then I remade him one in white and fixed it up so it did everything he wanted. And Will Roberts ended up with that prototype that Will, <laughs> that Loop cracked. And Will and Loop used to be in a Circus Day Slay together doing their thing. And, uh, but anyways, that's what I know. But I got that black one. I have to say that that is actually probably the whip I'd want to keep is that Statesman model. And I actually did keep it. And that's the prototype for the <coughs> Statesman line. Nice. And I have it. Enough <laughs> yeah. said. Sweet. And cool. it's a 12 plot. But it's got a 10 inch handle. And it's like a slightly scaled down, sleeker, you know, bull whip. Like Indiana Jones style, as far as the heel knot, especially as well. No wrist loop. No. Yeah, I wouldn't get a wrist loop Not for that. Something else you got. It's for the style. Do what? Uh, We all got covered on what everybody said, right? I think so. All right, so here we go. We got, uh, okay, now I got to say, we only have about an hour left, and I think that was a fun conversation. We may get caught into that. We'll try to answer what we can, but uh, the next person, Simon Falkendorp, well, they pretty much, uh, he, (laughs) He pretty much uh, asked, how do you make a whip in every stage of every part? Now, yeah, <laughs> like three things, but it's pretty much it. And I'll try to say it fast. Like, I would like to go a little bit deeper into different strategies for layers, how long the core, how long the bellies and bolsters. Also, in terms of calculating the taper and the balance of a whip, that sort of stuff. That's the first one. Different strategies for cutting lace from kangaroo hide, including general guide to weak and strong areas. Some old school crafters read the hide. Uh, cut around certain areas. Others cut a large circle. Break the lace down weak areas, making shorter lace near the perimeter and longer, stronger, closer to the center. What do you guys recommend? Okay, once again, I've got like a few more like that. <laughs> we can answer some of I mean, that's I more geared I'm, I'm going to finish guys. his next one real quick because he's the first three sets of questions. Oh, <laughs> oh wait. That, oh, I, yeah. Hold on. Let me get to see what else I got. Another one. Balance, weight, and shot load. Steel versus wires. How long? How heavy? Shot bags. Which characteristics? Lead balls, lead shot. Alternative weight. Okay, now that's the first part of Simon's thing. Now, right now, Simon, I'll, to address all that, anytime and now, it can't be done. We agree with that. Right? Does everybody kind of agree that that's, yeah. there's no way we can do it with also for just, even if we try not to have fun with this conversation, just literally talk as fast as I could. There's no other way to do it, so we'll try to do what we can. You guys go ahead and shoot, and whatever you want to talk about on, I would say, we'll generalize this, and anything you want to talk about on how to construct a whip, or like a whip, or 
making a whip, just start talking about well, I don't know. I would say, as a general rule, when you start asking about lengths of this, this it, that was part of his question, right? Lengths of bellies, lengths of cords. Yes. Okay, so <clears throat> uh, typically, just as a general guidelines, my first belly is going to run about a quarter of the length of the whip, and then the second belly is going to run half the length of the whip. You make four plat bellies, though. That my bellies are four plat bellies, yes, um, and and. The only way you can really get, you the only way you can do that is if you have strands that taper. Because if you're using nylon, you're you're you can't really get. You I guess you could get a little bit of a taper out of a four plat belly, but it, four strands aren't going to cover the size of the core that you're going to need to make a good tapering bullwhip. You're going to have to have more strands. But anyway, as far as kangaroo whip making, my core is going to be a little bit longer than my first belly is going to stick out of the end of the braiding of the first belly and get trimmed with the belly tails and then like I said it goes the quarter length of the whip the second belly gets plaited the half length of the whip I'm getting to the point now where my bolster my second bolster um, almost goes to the end of the whip might end an inch or two within the end of the whip which has been a fairly recent development and I mean within the last six months maybe um, but other than that but it's as he's using what formulas he's like and as you've um, changed things up you decided to change, do other things that basically do the same thing so like even having that run the length of the whip I mean there's also other under layers with his, you know we're not yeah the belly tails are there too they're getting tapered and his drop there. strands have their spot to help out right you know? and there's and so much in there see this is a lot to work with a lot of work with and change and deal with it looks this is this to me is where it gets back to finding what works for you because I like to end my cores in certain spots and then the belly tails roughly in certain areas depending on what I got out of the core when I prepped it so because you're going to do things different you're going to accidentally take off more here on this layer so you've got to if you're if you tapered out let's say you know let's say you're you're trying to braid your second belly and now you've got to taper out your first belly tails so you've got the core sticking out from that belly you've got to taper that and then you've got all the the four strand belly tails that you've got to taper out and then you've got the first bolster on top of that that you have to taper out before you get to the end of the second belly braiding so if you're if you're let's say like I would start with my first bolster because that's going to have the most amount effect in my mind uh, on this taper from for the for the remainder of the second belly so I would start there and if I mess that up and taper it off too fast here well on the next layers that I taper out I'm going to have to try to compensate for that by taking off less where I took off too much of this layer. So there's no real, your first belly tail's in here, your second bolster or first bolster is here. You, this all has to be weighed as you go, it's, so there's no real, I can't tell you how long to make every single part of this whip because it's going to depend on what you, what you encounter as, you're, as it's coming together. They're, they're, right. they're, they're not the same, you know. So that's where I say find what works for you. Just you, after you do it and do it and do it and do it, you'll get to the point where you're like, okay, I know what I want to look for and I want to what I want to feel for. Mm -hmm. But typically, first belly, quarter mark, second belly, half had the halfway point, uh, and then the uh, the first bolster ending within a few inches of the whip, yeah. and uh, then obviously the overlay being braided over the top of all that with with your last two drop strands going from 12 to six anyway. Those two drop strands are going to extend beyond the second bolster and be the core that the that the whip is braided over at the end point before where you're tying on your fall hitch mm -hmm. so th that's 
typically the way I look at things. Always more guidelines. Rules, yeah, yeah, guidelines more than rules for sure. There's no, there's, it, there's no scientific 100%, this is how you get the best taper, do this. Cause but but what, what he also means by that is like, I mean, yeah, that is impossible, but like you have to deal with the clay you have left to make your shape. So like, like I said, if you were, the bolster is getting trimmed and there's too much out, you gotta compensate with maybe not trimming your belly tails where you normally would. Or one thing ran short, like you had, so you had three tails, and one of them just ended at six inches when you want all of them to kind of taper out more, say 18 inches away from the halfway point. Well now, so you have one that you, you're not just gonna cut, I mean, you'd probably taper that out a little bit, so the best taper you could with what you had to work with. And so now you taper that out, I would take the other three and figure out how to make those compensate for that loss, but still feather out. Now maybe they wouldn't go in the same spot because I don't have four I'm gonna taper, I have one that ended early, and three that stretched a little and they found their own shape. So you can't really say this is the right way to do it. You, you've got to know this is this will give the overall pleasing shape that I know I want it to desire. But again, you can't always take the same road every time to work it because some roads get closed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> potholes, whatever. Nylon, it's it's a completely different story because it's pre-calculated. It's synthetic material. A little more science that you have to you can work with easier. More, yeah. more there to be your friend. Yeah. So generally, if I have a whip with a total of three platted layers. Each one of those layers, I like to have about a third. So the first belly is one third the overall length. You know, that's generally how I do it. Like if 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 I want if if somebody wants the whip to be more geared towards target cutting, I may shorten that first belly a little bit just so it tapers a little quicker. It's a little lighter. Uh, but generally, that's that's one of the reasons why I think nylon is a lot simpler than. And leather because you you are there there's so many more variables you know, an infinite amount because you're the one that's trimming all those strands all that hide that's up to you and you things could change things could stretch a little bit you're constantly compensating like you were, you were saying I think that's what that. makes nylon um, more challenging than kangaroo interesting okay I think it makes it way more challenging in ways just like yeah. it makes it way simpler in ways it makes it way more challenging hmm. Never thought I guess I should elaborate elaborate a little okay so That's like really uh, neat though that I can make the leather form around what I want so I have my strands are whatever I want them to be mm -hmm. seriously I, it's like an art for me I can I, I'm an artistic whip maker I can make it any shape any curve any length not that I want it to curve, but like I can taper at any point anything I want to compensate or make anything work mm -hmm. my knot strand doesn't work Ah, well, I take the knot strand off and make it a little <coughs> thicker. Or I'll make it a little slimmer. And uh, while you guys have some things that you're going to rely on to be easier, like I don't have to prep my lace, even though you do have to cut it and arrange it, you know, you still have to figure out how you're going to get those laces to lash down while they even start your braiding. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, so you have to find different workarounds to even get it yeah, on your handle. Sure. That's not as easy. Like, it's easy for me to put a handle and make a core, make a belly, put a handle on it. Uh, I think even with leather, my I, I think you filmed that. But I bet I can get a core and a handle, uh, the first belly, I mean, on the handle, cut, stretch, and prep, and braided quicker than you can do it. I bet I could. Like, we timed me going cut, cut, lash. Let's we'll do it next Do time. the belly, cut, cut, lash. Well, we, we almost timed it. Remember, I think I had you filming. I said, let's see how fat. Well, I was only one step. You probably get the time on But I bet it'd be pretty close or quicker. But the, what makes it quick, I prep takes longer, maybe, but you still have to pull your strands out and cut them, and then you got to do it. Like, you got to do that. But the thing is, I can lash my handle. All I do is cut it, flap it, lash it. And you guys gotta figure out how to make all the strands somehow, in my opinion, get 
lash tight around a handle to start your braid. Well, I think it's quicker and easier to put that yoke on a handle to start my braid, mm. even though I have to condition it real quick, or you know, with the plating soap, or I've got to prep them by hand or cut them out real quick. I, I think that's quicker, and yours is harder because you have to figure out. But you know, I don't make nylon. Mm. <laughs> I've never made an nylon building in my life. Leather makers can make their strands the way they want them. We can make our cores the way we want them, and end up with what we want. Whereas nylon whip makers have to alter their whip making techniques around the, the size of the material yes, that they yes, are given. Yes. They have to take that into account and that's going to really dictate everything. At this diameter with this material, you're going to have X amount of strands. Yes. And I think yes. it makes it easier There's harder. No two ways yeah, about it. It makes it easier but harder because you can actually know probably no matter what, whatever nylon, you'll know exactly how wide it is after stretch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Even though it's stretch no flattened, you'll know exactly we you know we have variation. That's the problem, and like you can just order it slimmer. I mean, you'll deal with it, but still, you have to make sure you calculate how you drop your strand, where you drop your strand, or the running strand method. Or not that you don't do that with King Groove, it helps on some things. But you guys drop on the not you drop you guys drop strands on on the overlay on a braided uh, a braided underlayer, mm -hmm. and we don't do that. We never drop strands uh, on a belly. Anything over a braided belly, we never drop strands on. Well, I don't do it anymore. I've done it on my second or third kangaroo whip. But you guys have to drop, since you can't change the variation of your strands, or unless you decided to braid in new smaller strands halfway down, have a weird insert, just keep buying thinner nylon and just pull them out. That'd be great. I mean, they, well, but either way, unless you did something like that, I mean, your strands are the same length through the whole whip. So mm. because it's stuck at 5 millimeters or 5.5, you generally will always drop at the same place at the same time on almost every whip because that's where you have to drop, which puts an underbraided section. Now, it very easily, I notice, flattens and can be hidden and it won't really affect the, the, the roundness of your whip, but you're always going to drop right off the handle within like six, seven inches for your first drop on a 16 plat on a bull whip or a non bullet. And the next one's going to come almost right after it if it's a six foot, so <laughs> next one's going to probably come right after it within another eight inches or less. Mm -hmm. And you're probably dropping at a 12, you're at a 12 plat, I bet, before you get to the halfway point on your whip. You're definitely, ha you would have to be, by my calculations, I, I haven't made it, all right, I, I made it to one just to this point, but you'd have to be. You're probably more at a 10 plat at your halfway point if you do a 16 plat bull whip. That's just a guess, but I'm probably on it. But so, some people... So you have to, so you do have safety in one thing, you have common denominator. You'll always have a common denominator that you have to go from 16 to 14 a little off the handle. You always have to go to 12 shortly after that 14. Yeah. And the 10 before the half. So you always have that coming on there. You don't have to worry about them maybe, you know, breaking. And you can also then prearrange. So if anything yeah. break, you can just throw a new one out and slap it on. But not only that, but like they're they're good. So like there are things that are, are you can say is like, well, they're relying on it. But like, no, but that, your art comes in, not from the materials, but on how well you have to make it survive, like a heel knot. You're like, my knot looks like crap. And I'm like, well, really? You had a really good knot. The problem is you can't adjust the width of your knot strands. You need to adjust the foundation of your heel so that now your knot goes around it and that that knot to look pretty. Well, I could just slim up the string. Yes, there, there's a huge advantage. So you guys you guys have a harder, but easy, you know, it's not, you do have a harder in your way. So yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's yeah, way it's harder. Two way street. Yeah, two way street. Two things with, with knots you guys absolutely have the advantage because a lot of people are saying, Nick, what's the exact size of that foundation? And you have to know if, if you're going to be using paracord, you do have to know. And what not? I mean, you do a, a seven it's six changed. versus a five four, yeah. is a three pass, a two pass, is it yeah. not even those knots, is a pineapple, is it an eight nine? That changes it a lot. And then the whole... The Long whole knot? I mean, it won't all fit on the same... I could make it maybe fit on the same foundation by slimming my lace. 
If yeah. I can put the same foundation with an 8.9 and a 7.6 and a 5.4, yeah. I just got to thicken it or thin it. You yeah. have to make the foundation fit your knot. So you have to know your knot even better than yeah. I know my knot. I mean, as far as knowing the knot to know the foundation under it. Because <laughs> you have to know how well that knot does so that you make the foundation. Yeah. So when you make that knot on a foundation, that's, that's a lot more math, personally, I think. Mm -hmm. Even though it is an art form for you guys to accomplish this, I think that takes way more math uh, and a foundational conceptual ways you learn to perfect your art to be the prettiest thing out there. Mm -hmm. We were talking a little earlier about um, fully plaited bellies. That's just a method that, uh, that I've been using. I, I don't claim it's the right way, but there are other whitmakers, uh, nylon whitmakers, who, who don't do that. Uh, for example, Adam Winrich, when he gave me the plans to build a stock whip, if you guys noticed, he only plaited uh, nine inches of that belly underneath, and then it was just tails. So then I feel like it's it's not so predetermined anymore. Then you you kind of have some of that room that you do if you're making uh, a leather whip, you know. So it's not not everybody does the the fully plaited belly method. Uh, I just do it because I'm used to it and I'm comfortable with it. But you know there there are alternate methods for sure. You're talking nylon and leather. When when you say fully plaited belly, what do you mean? I mean, like uh, all my strands, I'm plaiting all the way to the end, basically. End of that what? Belly. Uh, how much you want belly. that length? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think I know what you're saying, but it comes off well. Every whip ends the braiding where you want that belly to end. So go into detail. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so sure. it's like well, yeah, sure. Well, well, you mean uh, braiding to like a quarter mark? Or braiding to like a halfway point, you mean like a braided belly section? Yeah. You mean as opposed to only braiding a few inches? Yeah. That's like what you're the, trying the, to explain. The strands yeah. on, on my, yeah. I know on my whips, about. the strands, uh, they're plat. Like if I'm making a six you know, foot whip, six foot whip, the, the braided portion is is roughly two feet. Yeah, right. For the first belly. Yes. Okay. So six foot whip, first belly, he would normally end two feet. Go. Yeah. Um, whereas some people. The braided part, not the tails. The braided and part might not reach that far down, but then you have a bunch of tails to plait over. I usually am not plaiting over very many strands. It's usually I'm plaiting over braiding. previous braiding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And so you're saying, as opposed to only having like nine inches or six inches of that first belly instead of going to two feet, and then have the tails happen way sooner is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Well, when you're talking bull whip, and I believe this is the main reason why I like, I like the first belly, like Steve said, the guidelines he kind of said. Um, but sometimes, you know, maybe something goes horribly wrong, and uh, I've done this before, and so I'm. It's rare, but I'll have a first belly and. My first belly is the most important out of everything. Well, above that, my core shape design for what I want that would be is the most important thing. And then I need my first belly to contour to it in the right spot to make sure that that transition is a rock from my tapered nail spike tip or my tapered spring steel so that the core that flares out around there has enough meat in the first belly lashes so it is a rock. That's that all right that's the most important now that helps with the tranny and then you know when my braid over that you know with that um i definitely want to make sure even though i go to a quarter mark um i definitely want to think that no matter what you do you would want that that first nine inches on a bull whip or any target or whatever would be the hardest plat in the world um once you go past that i don't think it will really matter because all the other braided sections that if it is um just tails because at that point I think it turns into a formula I call meat is just meat it's like a hot dog not saying I want hot dogs but 
the rest help dictate by the other layer. But the what I would not want is nothing but tails probably coming off of any braided section if I wanted a braided section. You know, I would want it definitely, if it's going to be braided, it needs to be where that's a rock coming off the handle. And then from there, you can do what you want and taper properly. If you have another braided section, again, I would want the second braid, it has to cover the first, I'm saying. <laughs> it has to go at least past the first braided section we're going to do another belly, otherwise why do it? And then what I would do is, once again, I would want it still tight no matter what, braid over this again, that next first nine inches off the handle or whatever. And then the rest I could let loosen off my braid or either way, I would still want you know, that, that part's most part. So I, I see if you were to loosen it up, I don't think it would affect the whip overall and if it was at least tight as you can for at least six to nine inches because of that reason. Because the rest of the next layer will take care of that. But it's important for that six to nine. Another part of that question was about shot bags, which I would just like oh, to say man. that, right now it's nylon, I know it's different, and your bull whips, there's gonna be some shot. When I make a kangaroo bull whip or target whip or anything, there is no shot bag. There's no lead shot, there's no nothing. You don't need it because kangaroo, has a lot of weight. Now when you make a snake whip, a snake whip will have a shot. It's lacking a steel spike for a handle or any kind of real weight from a handle and there's no leverage. So you have to put weight into it. So with a snake whip, typically the first belly is gonna be replaced with a shot bag. And then you'll have a belly over that depending on what kind of snake whip you're making and then your overlay. But, but that was one thing that I found out when I first got into making kangaroo whips. And I remember buying the kangaroo and being scared to death to cut into it um, and then I, I, I did some reading and I had seen Bernie's video and Bernie shows how to make a shot bag and he puts a shot bag in his whip mm. and uh, I think I was talking I might have been Paul Nolan I can't remember who it was but they 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 blew my mind when they said typically your leather indie style whips did, like David Morgan did not put a shot bag in his whips and th at the time that blew my mind I had no idea so I, I was like, okay, I'll Again, just, I'll I, make it without a shot. I don't want to cut you off, but it's like, that's where it is like the, he's in the point of being a novice to where he can't see past the technique he learned. <laughs> he's like, they do, I, I've only seen a shot bag, right. bull whip. Right. All bull whips have shot bags. Mm. Everyone gets punched. You have to learn to block, right? Blocks are how we handle punches here. You know, so like, you're stuck like that. That's a mind blowing thing. Like, you can do different, huh? Hulk smash, you know, you feel like that's something like, what was that? Right. Like, what? And then, and then I saw a post uh, from West, West Whips where Paul Nolan mentioned, and I, I, again, I was getting ready to construct my first kangaroo whip coming out of nylon. And I saw a post where Paul Nolan said something about the first belly going to either the, the, qu the quarter or a third mark, and then the second belly typically running to only half the length of the whip. And, and this is not at all what I was doing with my uh, nylon whips that I had made up to that point. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to try that because this is Paul Nolan of Midwest Whips and he knows a heck of a lot more than me about this and that's what he makes. So I thought, yeah. you know, on my first whip I'm going to make my first belly or my second belly just go to the halfway point and that's what I did. And it really worked out good. I had no idea. I remember tapering my belly tails consisted of holding them with my left hand and cutting them with scissors with my right hand. That was tapering my. You mean like cutting across or cutting up like you're tapering with the scissors? I, I would I would cut at an angle, but that. It, but it'd be a short one, just yeah, like snip. I mean, you know, like, it yeah, couldn't snip. possibly be longer than that blade on the scissors. You know, it wasn't enough of yeah. a taper. It was a sudden drop, and I saw that when the whip was done. Yeah. That's why Blake says his core and his first belly are the most important part of the whip, because if the under part of the whip is wrong, the over part of the whip is going to be wrong. If the first, if you're if you're wrong 
from the get-go, you're going to be wrong when it's it's not going to be right. When it's like you're about to start off on a 100-meter dash, you're, and you just have one light stumble before you get going. Yeah, or the lights turn green on a drag race, but you just were looking aside for that fraction of a second. You're about to build a house on a, on a fractured foundation. That's a bad idea. That's what really... Not that it'd fall apart like that, but yeah. it makes the rest of the adventure a little harder than it needed to be. Any problem or bump or lump or anything you're aware of on the first belly of a whip, you're going to be you're probably gonna more aware of it at the end of the whip. Customers yeah. maybe not catch if it's something really so small, but sometimes yeah. with us, we're just like, we're picky. I know it's there. Yeah. Like th th this whip just killed it. And I'm like, I know this one freaking mm -hmm. thing about it. I know no one will see, but it made me so mad. I don't think it was as clean. One out of the the and, and so if we're paying a ten foot whip, let's just say that uh, I don't know how many plats it is. I had it calculated, but from heel to tail, we're looking at maybe what a thousand plats. So I had over a thousand plats just on the overlay. But you got to realize, so out of doing maybe two thousand things to your whip, I had one thing that ticked me off. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or maybe five, but so five minute little things that you know to know. But yeah. to me, all I, and Steve's worse about it. Like he's more on it than I am. He gets more. Like, oh. We look at, but we, it's like I'm like, oh, that's the one. All I see is that one fall. It's because we look at, we look at everything. We compartmentalize the whip. We yeah, look at the yeah. fall hitch. We look at the braiding. We look at the strand drops. We look at the knot. Most people get a whip and they look at the whip. <laughs> and they go, wow, this is a nice whip. Exactly. They don't go, ooh, look at that strand drop. Look at this strand right here. Well, we're not even mad. It's even right more minor. There's stuff we, we we're mad about that just happened on an underlayer that won't even affect anything because we fixed it or fixed it. We got to do a workaround, but we're just like, I had to work that one thing around. And like our strand kept breaking here. And they're like, well, we fixed this, no problem. But it's like, right. I had to do that. I was like, I know it's there. And I know it's It won't there. matter. My taper would have been a little bit better had I not had to insert that strand on the second belly that broke and fix that problem. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because he did your, it to fix it. Your yeah. customer's not going to look at it and go, this whip is ruined. Yeah. I'm looking <laughs> at it going, right. I could have done that. And we're not saying that our, fi like our fix didn't uh, not fix it. I mean, it fi it's perfect. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it's just like we know it's there. Yeah. We're like this should have had to happen. Mm -hmm. Like it's just an unjust world. <laughs> yeah, it's like looking at a painting with the <laughs> artist that painted it, and you're like, dude, that is awesome. And you know that I am lost. I could sit here for eight hours, lost. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I want to turn around right now because all I see is that flick. Yeah. And like I didn't care about this. Yeah, thing. Right. couldn't get I, that. I never even liked it. I didn't want to paint it in the first place. I'm not saying I'm not that person. It could be, you know, what he thinks about it. He's always sees that. Yeah. Briefly, you talk about, you know, shot loading for a nylon whip. Um, I do it because it's personal preference, really. I mean, if you if you make a, a nylon whip and you wax it, you don't really need to have that that shot. You know, either whether you use BBs or lamp chain, you don't have to have that. But for me personally, I like that little extra weight. And uh, people are, are used to the whips that I make. I keep doing it because that is kind of my signature thing. You know, that's probably whip. the best way to, I'd say probably put weight in a whip if you're going to do it like an island, how they do it. Yeah. Probably really is the best way is just to put these in it. Mm -hmm. I wish there was a way, and I know people have tried it, but it's just not worth the hassle. Find a better way to get that to taper a little or have things that would probably fill it. It's like, you'd almost have to make a lead shot bag that would be more of a hassle. I don't think it would do much different. Mm -hmm. Especially you guys only have like, you know, a few inches or Eight yeah, whatever, you know, it's like I, it wouldn't be worth reinventing that wheel mm -hmm. to make it slightly, maybe, possibly feel better. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it wouldn't be worth it. Yeah, it, it's more so to kind of transition the weight from the steel handle to the thong of the whip because that is a big drop off. Metal versus fabric, basically. You know, that's a decent drop off. So those BBs are 
giving it a little bit of weight in the thong and helping that weight transition from the handle into the thong. It's just a nice blend, kind of. So if you make a nylon whip and you wax it, you don't really need the BBs. No, you don't. But uh, I prefer it because I'm used to it and I like the way that it feels. Uh, well, as far as that, there's so much we go into detail on all the things they said, like yeah. best strategy to cut out legs for kangaroo. I think kangaroo is pretty much easy to find anywhere. What most people say, like the legs are the legs are aren't the best. You've got the flanks you got to watch out for. You know, the arms are pretty stretchy, and you just where you want to start at all. Or I, I think there's so much stuff out there. If, if you really want to look at some of these questions, I easily answered. If you want to know my opinion, I think Steve kind of lines up with me in most opinions. I don't know, not a lot of them. There's things we do, but I think when it comes to a lot of looks on whip making or how to construct things, we have similar, similar goals. But I have a series on my YouTube channel called Blake Burning. I never called it channel because the original one I put up just to give some. The original intent was to give a few basic videos to customers who wanted to know how to crack whips better. Mm -hmm. And I always talk about why I hear most people don't, which is when you crack a whip, I mean, you don't talk about your cabinets, you raise it up, you hold it about at 12 o'clock, you know, or one o'clock when the weight goes horizontal and you just bring it straight back down and go horizontal on the next way. Like as the whip's about to touch the ground, you bring it back down. Or if you timed it, it might be something like one and crack. Or I mean, you do these ways, but mine was, well, I want you to raise it up, hold it, and then feel the weight. Now that you feel the weight, you don't have to look at the whip. You know where it's at, you feel the weight, and you know the time to crack it. Right. So I just made that to start it, but it kind of grew. And I have things called the Whipmaker's Eye Series, and there's only about <coughs> eight or nine of them, but I'm going to put more on there. But that's if you really got any questions about how I see things, or I talk about different hides versus this hide, or what makes a good kangaroo hide, or even how to do up a fall hitch, most, there's a few things that are on there. It'd be much better for you, Simon, to watch those videos, take too much time to really get into it. And, uh, but I think we did a good job answering some of the stuff that you'd be interested in that were probably <coughs> important, shot lower and weight. So we'll move on. Uh, let's see. Kylan Weaver. This is probably more for you, Nick. Nylon versus Dacron. Uh, is it just a trademark name or polyester by DuPont? Uh, and one of the manufacturers don't like us to know is that the 100% nylon cord is actually nylon poly blend. So advantages, disadvantages of the above. Does that make sense? Or I go to um, The second half. Is he just basically saying what's the advantage? We'll start with nylon versus uh, Dacron. Go. Okay. Uh, well, Dacron is polyester, he's right. Um, nylon is a whole different material. And um, paracord is traditionally nylon, I think. Um, it's what I've always used. And I've never actually used Dacron that was the same width as the 550 paracord that I used. The only reason I've ever used Dacron in a whip was because I could get it in the thinner diameter from a company called Cortland. Cortland Line Company, and um, they make this stuff that's it's flat and it's coreless. It is hollow, but it, it's it's coreless. It doesn't have any strands to have, that you have to pull out. And the reason that I got interested in it was because I was I was curious about higher plat numbers. I wanted to try some twenty four plat whips. I mean, aesthetic. You, you got if you can't find paracord. Slimmer, yeah, you I couldn't find. find yes, material. exactly. If if I could find. See, that's another problem there. You know, like that's one thing where it's your science. You know, it's scientific, but that's a problem that we don't have to deal with. That's where mm -hmm. we have more of an art. That's why I used to say it's both part science and art, no matter what you master in art form yeah. in this life. And there's a part where science ends and art takes over, and sometimes science has to come back. Like chess, it's first starts science, then it's art. But the end game will always be science because you're down to the handful of pieces only so many ways to do it. Now we'll take an art to beat an artist, mm -hmm. <laughs> an artist beat an artist. But yeah. other than that, you want a width, you just yeah. Cut yeah it. It's like yeah. so we you know we, we have those gray areas on finding a way to make our material work. I'm putting a whip on about who knows what we would dream up because I've dreamed up some really nutty stuff and put whips on them. 
It's part of the fun. And I can just shape my legs to work it while you guys stuff just start finding maybe more mm -hmm. different materials. Or you have to go another extreme, which is higher plaque count. Mm -hmm. Like the only way it'll fit over this, I gotta add yeah. ten more strands. Yeah. I've never done thirty eight, <clears throat> but you know what? That's the only way to make this monster whip I want to make if somebody wanted me to make a monster mm -hmm. whip, I need hundred and fifty two strands. Mm -hmm. Well I could be like, I can do that in four. Mm -hmm. That would be really nasty. But it's like I could because I can make a four one that's like eighteen millimeters wide. <laughs> yeah. I can make four plaid eighteen millimeter wide belly if I really desired, which wouldn't be good. I'm just saying. Yeah. So is one better than the other? Um, I would say probably not. Uh, I would say there's one disadvantage that I've experienced with the Dacron, is that it's it's a little more slippery than nylon. So it's a little harder for me to work with. I'm sure that's something. If if I were to, you know plat more whips with it, I think I would probably get over it or it'd become easier, but it's a little little slicker, but is one better than the other? I don't think so. I think they're... Do you prefer one for something else? Like, I, if I'm going to make a bull whip or target whip, it's that, or if it's a stock whip, it's that, or does that even matter? <sighs> That's a good question. I, I would tend to say... It's just the only difference is yeah, black yeah, count. Yeah, just black count. count. No other thing else. Yeah. Huh? Stock whips are generally thinner than bull whips, so I would say... But the overall material is flatter when it's braided right like it even gets flatter than nylon is that the um, background is it even yeah flatter? a little bit just because the walls are are a little thinner i think the, the individual fibers are smaller in the dacron but i mean you could have dacron that's the same dimensions as 550 so when it comes down to it i honestly don't know the chemistry of that base material nylon versus uh polyester i, I know that polyester is oftentimes less expensive and I don't know no, if I forgot to mention that was from Colin Weaver. Okay. And I think that pretty much answered his second part. I you hope know, so. Where he even said, uh, I don't like these 100% nylon cores, actually nylon polyvinyl. So the advantages and disadvantages of the mm -hmm. I think he kind of answered that. It's really just the size restrictions, a big one on that. That's a good one to answer that. I think so. Yeah. Um, <coughs> let me see. Before I get back to that, the next one, uh, I had a reshuffle. Let me see where it went to. Whoops. <coughs> Comments, sorry guys, I just lost it. And we're about to find it right here. Okay, Blake Gorey said, um, Look forward to it, Blake. And, the, and he's just because I wrote the post, but he's been saying it all this. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm one of those uh, stubborn do it yourself people. I'd rather figure out thing. I'd rather figure things out for myself, but I'd like to hear your stories. I bet you have a lot I'd like to hear and talk about leather, different kinds, pieces of rue, tanneries and bolsters, core materials, i.e. veg tan versus oil tan, weight, etc. And also fall materials, lump tan versus what hide leather has come to be a session of mine and there's so much to learn from you pros. Okay, again, that is awesome. I thought he had another comment, which I'm not finding now, that, that also said something else. And I'm not finding that right now. Maybe. Oh, no. That's someone else. I got that. Well, once again, that's a long question alone right there. But, you know, maybe too hard to really answer all of it. And I think we have some of those, maybe. Um, as far as species kangaroo, I'll just tell you when it comes to some things, I'm not the best at all this. Um, I've, I can, I believe you throw them both in front of me, I can identify. Is it gray and blue? Is it gray, what it is? gray and red. Gray and red. And so, like, I... Uh, but I can separate them like, but here's why I'm wrong. If I know it and I see it, I can tell you that's the one used for that and that's used that. But I can never remember the name for which is which. But so like cream, gray, and red, is it the gray that you want for the high plat? It's the red, isn't it? Red, what you want for the higher plat count? I don't know. Well, well, if you look at them, one's, um, the pores look different. Like they're more spread out than they are together. And if you can see the hair pores on, on the slick side, you can. that's the way to tell it's one of each. But I can't remember which is one. And Casey's shaking his head if he's listening to this. being like, Blake, I don't know how many times I told you this. I explained the callers, but I forget. 
Uh, so like I'm bad at stuff like this. Like I know how to look at things and do things more than I can even tell you the names of things though. So, but one of them uh, you usually look for more for a higher plaque count because the way it stretches and because the pores are different, it, it's probably more. Uh, how's the word? It'll work better or more stronger at the thinner, the thinner. Mm. Because think and I believe it's the one you're looking for. The higher plaque is the, you know, is of course one where I, unless I'm wrong, the pores are farther apart. Not that pores are holes, but let's just imagine. Hair holes are on the top of that, the slick side. So the more holes you have, the more holes you're pulling on. So the less holes you have and they're spread out would make thinner strands have less holes and less things that cause you know, more stretchy areas and circles. So I believe that's how that works. I may be opposite or wrong, and there's people that can easily correct me at any time, and I accept that, and I appreciate you for, for it because I'm bad at this morning right now. I'm bad at some things like that. Makes I believe sense that to does me, it. Man. This I just don't me. I don't know about this stuff. Versus whatever. Um, I'd say about different kind of roots. Oh, as far as types, I prefer drum stuff. Any day of the week, if I can get a drum stuff, I take that over any other veg tan hide that had other tan to it. So like, you can get veg tan, which is great. <coughs> I prefer veg tan second. Okay, a good veg tan. All right, mm -hmm. um, but they everything is veg tan. Drum stuff means it was veg tan, then put in a process with like a drum with oil, and it got warm oils to be a part of it. So it's kind of already conditioned. Not that you don't that conditioned stuff, but it's already conditioned. And I feel it does something to the hide that makes it the perfect way a kangaroo high should be. And if you're going to cut it or like prep it, or well, it's not that it's rubber. Well, it comes with little variations <clears throat> with all the colors too and the species, but compared to the chrome tan, it's not floppy, it's floppy. And when you stretch it, it stays stretched and there's little things like that as well, the feel. Just as also the feel of it is just something else. There oils in it. That's the one thing I want to say is that to me, the species red or gray is insignificant compared yes. to the tannage of the hide. If you get veg tan, whether it's drum stuffed or not, as long as it's veg tan, you're going to be okay. If you get veg tan drum stuffed, you might even be better off. Whether it's red or gray, yeah. make sure you stretch your strands. Now, if you're talking about... Aniline tan. We've had so many different tannages, and I don't even know tan. what they're yeah. called. I have seen uh, at least 11 different ones that I've got and I've tried, and one of them i got, I can show you, feels like raw hide. It's a raw hide. A thin, thin, thin <laughs> raw hide kangaroo. Some of it is elastic, and you, yeah. you'll stretch it and stretch it and stretch it, and it, you'll, you'll cut your strand and try to get it to size, but then when you pull it, it's still stretching. You, yeah. It's elastic, and it's so weird. It's usually, it's a, chrome so I mean, it's usually always a chrome tan variation. I could be wrong. Maybe that's what chrome tan does to it. If you're using cowhide or if you're using kangaroo, don't worry about the species. Just get veg tanned. That's bra that's braiding tannage. That's what you want. You but know? I would say, or I would say, drum stuff or drum stuff vegetable any day of the week. Right. If you're getting it from a whip maker, you're probably getting what you need. You're probably getting what you want. Just to tell them I want something that I can braid, you know, and pull. And you'll get, you know, vegetan, probably drum stuff. Drum Veg stuff. or drum truck, drum stuff vegetan. Yeah. But don't mess with that other stuff. You well, now, you, you have these collared kangaroos. Like, you know, everybody wants the aqua, the purple, the pink, the orange, the canary. Yellow. All the colors you get from, you know, Australia, which, you know, we get some of those too far whips. But there, they, there are something like, I don't know if it's aniline, I don't know the name of it. It could be aluminum tan or aniline tan or some sort of different tan where it is veg tan, but it's not drum stuff. But it does seem to have a little bit of oil in it. I almost said that because it's probably part of the dye. But the dye even affects the way it takes water, which is funny. I talked to people like, wow, the purple does not want to take white uh, water anywhere near compared to aqua or orange and maybe another one. And another one of those because the dye involved with it rejects water more or accepts it even better. And it's just, but the overall feel of it's just slightly different, but it is also still, I think whatever they do to those, most of the time you get a good one, you, I mean, you get the right skins. It is closer to 
drum stuff uh, as far as the way it feels because that, that painted coat still feels like drum stuff where it's kind of slick surface and it's a little bit <laughs> stiffer and not so floppy compared to veg tan or just veg tan or other, the weirder tans, but I think it's almost called aniline tan. It's, it's a different thing though. It feels different, a lot of different. It even stretches a little different. You feel the difference when you stretch it. Yeah, if you're getting if you're getting kangaroo hides for ten dollars a piece, it's probably not the tannins you want for really good hard braiding. Yeah, and it or clean. Or if it is, yeah. it ain't clean at all. I ain't gonna make anything. It's yeah. a fall apart every place you try. Get Better it. just to wear a coat out of it if the stitching it hold. <laughs> Get it from a whip maker or someone who works at a place like Hardkey or Packer that knows what whip makers want. Yeah, ask the people that work there and be like, yeah. Do you, yeah. are you used to selling to whip makers? Yes, I am. Uh, you probably can't tell you, but be like, well, do you know what they prefer in a kangaroo? I think we have someone that does. Can you have him pick out the kangaroo for me? I'd be like, I'll even pay $5 extra, 10 bucks extra, just for you to go through. I'll pay for you to go through them and find me the biggest, best highs. And if that's possible, they'll probably refuse it. But like, I don't know what I want. Please get the guy that can give me one. I'll tip you guys and just thank you. I don't necessarily need the prettiest hides. The kangaroo can have a gunshot wound. That's fine. I can cut around that. I don't that's want like pretty a much how they come. You generally always have. A nice bullet around the flank and the heart, you know, I and mean, that's where they're aiming for it. So that's, I know. they hit it like deer, so it's going to get shot usually. You don't always see it, but there'll be a gunshot, tick marks. One of, the, one of the comments that one guy was, was made on there, I don't think it's the one we're addressing now, but he said something to the effect of the old timers read the hides. And all I can say to that is, to a degree, anybody who cuts into kangaroo is going to read the hide. You're going to see a mark that you don't want, and you're going to cut it off and cut around it, so to speak. So you're reading the hide now. There is how well can you read the hide? How well can you see the stretch? It doesn't, parts? and like I said, it doesn't matter about age. It matters about who the person is. Who the, yeah. Because you could have laid tile your whole life, but just didn't do a good job laying tile, or cared enough about to really get the fine points on. But it doesn't matter. I mean, read, reading hides pretty easy. But I think what he's saying is somebody who's been doing it for a long time reads the hides better. Yes, but it's just it comes from experience. It does. I think come that's from what experience. he's saying. So yeah, there's, there's, well, there's nothing yeah. that we can do to help yeah. you. The old time better read the hide. Well. They read it better. They can get more out of it. Like Joe Strain, you can get more out of a hide than I can. Way more out of a hide. Sickly. Yeah. I watched like I had a '58 style tan. I saw him last, the last time, so he could show me every step of the process. So I can break down every question about every part of him making a 20th anniversary Raiders, which is basically similar to the Raiders, almost identical. And then while he did it, I asked him every step about every other Indiana Jones whip he makes and what he would do different here and how that. So I got to watch how he did everything and ask every Raiders or versus any other Indian movie, you know, T.O.D., Crystal Skulls, uh, Last Crusade, and answered all of them. And out of that 58, uh, he didn't have enough for knots and wrist but he had enough for the first belly, second belly, and an eight-plat overlay. <laughs> and the overlay, I'm not going to tell you how much, I don't want the, what was the scraps that he just trimmed off when prepping the bellies, but it couldn't have been much of anything, because the overlay, uh, 58, that he got all that out of, and prepped the overlay, there was barely enough thin strands from him just pairing stuff that even fit in my palm, and I don't, I dare any, I would almost wage money that no whip maker in the history of it had that little come off of a whip like that. I don't think it's even as humanly possible. It's it's being able to know by looking at that hide how much stretch I'm going like to get out of this cut it, He literally so cut it and stretched it and had to do nothing but bevel it and it made one of the most beautiful whips of all time. He literally didn't have to prep it. It was prepped when he cut it and stretched it. It was amazing. And I, you guys, I'll show you, I'll have to do pictures and explain that. It's, I'm mind-blowing. I didn't see it and I didn't film it. I wouldn't believe it. I already said, I know Joe String has scrap, but no way he just has like a, this. So thin and light, it's barely, you can close your hand around it. You can make a fist on it. That's crazy. You can make a fist on it, perfectly. Yeah. Wow. 
No way. I have a bird's nest. <laughs> I, have a, I have a polar bear's hibernation. <coughs> I feed ping, you know, I keep the penguin eggs for good. They can actually happy feet stack and leave them. He grows. I've got so just well. half a torn up hide on the floor. Uh, but as far as, uh, let's see, we've got a lot of here about other different kinds of species. Tanneries. Uh, I don't know much about the tanning process other than I know the main ones I care about to know, like we talked about oil. You know, veg versus chrome, trying to stay away from chrome if you can, but you can do stuff with it. I mean, you can do stuff with it, but the flopper gets the worst it is. But as far as tanning, I only, you know, like, I know the names, and but I don't, can't really explain how the process is on these. Um, as far as uh, falls, white hide versus uh, brown hide or, hide or other materials, I forget what the, like, I'll order Indian tan, and it's used like a three-layered thing where it's light brown, top light brown, bottom like a hamburger, and then there's a, an even wider spot in the middle but the way I used to get it I, well they have to layer it and they kind of glues together unless I'm wrong right it kind of gets layered because I don't know yeah, I yeah because it's three different parts of hive I didn't know and that. so with this um, the one I always got whenever I saw Joe do it or Casey I saw it where it was dark brown on top and dark brown on bottom like the sandwich and then a real yellow in the middle mm -hmm. and I was always told it's called Indian tan now the white hide we try to look for is called lum tan Indian tan good luck finding it you'll find it somewhere but you may not it's hard to find good um, when I found some, I bought about, you know, six cows, this was about 200, well, six sides, I'm sorry, about six sides, and it was about 250 each one. That's a lot of money, but I, it's like, I got this stuff Joe says is the best, and I don't know if I'll ever come around again. It's a hard time to find it and get it and ship to me, because a lot of times you'll, I'll spend 140 bucks trying out a new place to get what they say is it, and I get it, it's the wrong thickness or the wrong whatever, or it doesn't work right, and then I'm out 40 bucks shipping it back, and you do that, you know. I've done that 20 times. I've lost $2,000 looking for materials because there wasn't always a place to go in and get it. Then you just, you know, you, you, you just kind of kind of get what you can and can and be careful with it. But I can't find that the, the dark mind. I'm always looking for better than I know I'm a hard time. But even then, you'll, you know, if I say Indian tan and I say I think what you want for it would be, you know, the maybe the seven to eight ounce, so they call it, or eight to nine. Well, maybe, but when I ordered what should have been seven to eight, which I figured normally when I bought the one was eight to nine, it turned out seven to eight was too thin. Might work great for stock whips though, but no way I can use it with a target or a regular bulb. So mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I need to get nine to 10, can't, or, or 11 to 12 and something. Well, they can't get you nine to 10. You just can't get it in America mm -hmm. anymore. And I ha I've talked to Australians, I've talked to Pete. Um, I had Pete, uh, I talked to Talon. Uh, I've had Pete talk to Simon, or I talked to Simon, but either way, I'm just like, can, can you guys find this dark brown? Indian tan that looks like this that I want in this or any of it, I'm having a hard time. Casey Tyler's having a hard time. We're having a hard time finding it for, for a while there. And I told Pete, I'm like, well, I, I had, Pete has several hundred dollars reason I think I sent him for these skins. And that's how I had to make my first bullet. But I sent him this money. I'm like, look, can you find any of these? Look, I'll figure it out, man. I'll buy it. You know, it's what, is it five, six hundred dollars, whatever. You buy the side. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll buy the side. Here's the money. And all I ask is you, you cut it out and get as many falls as you think you get out of it. You just cut general shapes while you're doing mine, and you just give me half. I'll pay for the whole thing, but the fact that you cut it, and then I'll pay for you to ship it to me. And he tried a few different channels. He went to personally for a while trying to find it because he was looking for some kind of like that too. But uh, what I was looking for, he, it was even hardware. It's like uh, the money was outrageous for some dumb reason, or the thing, most of it was he couldn't find it and it worked good enough. And he did check with Simon to make sure he's in the right place. And he did check with Tom over and over again. Like, have you tried it? Yeah, you tried it there. And we tried it. And none of it worked out right. And it's like, so I just had him use that money to make me the first bullet that I ever made. But it's like, man, I tried for months. He tried for like eight months. <coughs> Off and on, he tried. For like, hey, I'm going to finally take a trip into Bisbee or whatever. It's like, I'm going to take a trip into wherever. So I'm going to finally get there and look at it. And just, it, it came up nothing. Crap. Mm. That's a problem, too. But I would say, in my opinion, brown hide, I think, 
Kate Easley is more supple. And I would say white hide is, although it can be suppled, I think white hide is stronger ultimately. But it depends on where you cut the fall and if you, you have the wrong part at a stretchy area ultimately. Because it stretches, cow stretches weird and hide just also is weird. So you, it depends on how you cut the fall, what makes it better. So you got to put the right part in the right area. But I like, I think white fall makes a stronger whip or a stronger fall. But then in, in, uh, other people differ. Like Anthony said the opposite. And I saw him on the phone the other day and he, again, and he's just like, Oh, I, I said the white. It's like I sent him two whips, and the brown was getting to, wasn't working out well. It snap a lot. It's like the white's perfectly. Like, I usually hate white falls because white falls just fall apart on me. Said, but I'm surprised your brown. I said, well, I just got some new fall material in, and I'm not. I haven't got to test it much, but I had to drop that out. That's why you know I'll sit next fall. And he says, ah. He said that's how that that happened. And I'm like, well, that's how I always notice it. White. And he says, now white always broke. So it's funny that he'd say the opposite. So I guess it really depends on whoever made the fall, what color the fall, the type of fall is, and it also depends on how well the guy read the hide and did it. So again, it's no one answer to solve which is better or not, and they all have their advantages. And they should all work as long as you do a good piece, the right piece of leather in the right spot, and make sure it's at a spot that's hard and it's not going to be fuzzy and it's going to fall apart as easy. Well, it goes too with how well, again, back to tannage, how well they were tanned, because mm -hmm. you know David Morgan years ago started putting out all of his indie whips and, and having white hide falls on them. And they, for a while, switched to Latigo because the white hide they were getting just wasn't the quality that the, the batches they were getting in the past. So yeah. they started using a different leather that that they felt worked better. And alum tan white hide is it's very hard and thick, and you're going to destroy our material and your blades trying to cut it out if you don't. When you make falls, you don't soak and treat it and let it sit in the right water before you cut it, it'll, it'll just destroy everything you got. Yeah, it was actually... But the, that's so thick and it's hard with that, and I think I get 9 to 10 <coughs> ounce. I think I get 9 to 10 ounce because that way I can split it down to anything and it'll be all right. If I want to go a little shorter, I knock off a millimeter if I split it. But either way, that stuff is apparently what I found out what it's really made for, mm -hmm. and this is why it's hard to get, is for moccasin soles. Oh, <laughs> so okay. there ain't a lot of moccasins being made anymore in America. That often around the area where we can get it in Indiana. Now other places, like so I had to get a special stuff order from a place in Texas and I had a guy of a local leather shop work hard calling almost every store around the country in his chain until he found something to ship up. Wow. <laughs> it was hard just to find it. And it was like, oh my, it's so brittle. I said, Joe, this is terrible. I'm like, I think I have the worst, worst fall material. I got white hide and I just had to spend like 500 bucks on two sides. That's a lot for me at the moment. I'm like, and I can't even cut it. I'm cut. My blades just fall apart on it. I'm gonna cut my fingers off. I've cut myself so much. I want to cut them off because it's just too hard to cut. And he's like, "Wait." He's like, "You just found the best fall material you will ever find in your life." So that's part where fool's gold versus gold. You don't know what you're looking at and how to treat it. You have the best stuff. I mean, I had no idea because I didn't know what to do to get to the shape to take it. And I was, that is the best fall. There's a black I, I kill that what you have right now. I look for that stuff. <laughs> So yeah, you gotta soak it in water, mm. so your blade gets through it. Because it's real dry if you don't, real dry. It's well, and you'll if you're cutting falls, multiple falls all at once, you're gonna run into a situation where you're swapping your blade every three or four falls because it, it's just dulling the crap out of your blade. But if you take that hide and let it get wet. Uh, it'll soften it up, make it easier to cut, and then you can just let it dry hmm. and uh, tie it on, grease it up. But Interesting. that's, uh, I, you know, it's like like he's saying, you get something and you're frustrated to death with it because you can't cut it, it's not cooperative and you can't do anything with it, and it's like, what am I doing wrong, what am I doing wrong, what, 
where do I get the good material from? And then you have somebody that knows what they're looking at go, no, that's what you want. Yeah. You're just not understanding that there's a there's a trick to it. And that's a lot of thing where it's kind of hard to learn anything just in YouTube land uh, uh, to learn at a higher level. Like one reason why it's still is good to have college professors if they got amused right anyways is that when you're watching a lecture with a college professor at the end of the class you can raise a hand and have them elaborate on what you're not getting. In a YouTube video, we're so different, we're all watching it, but there's some mental hurdle you can't get over about why it's being made or not or why you can't do something. And if you would talk to the person helping, he'd be like, oh, well, that doesn't matter. Or he'd be like, well, just do this. Here's what you're doing wrong. You don't understand. You're just grabbing wrong. And so you can't just get that answered. You can write a post and hopefully it gets back. And then you can kind of do that. But like I think that's one thing we're getting personally out because you can ask question after question after question. Because when I have them answer one, guess what? That now spawned three more questions. <laughs> Yeah, that's what really helps to get with someone else. You can at least talk to on the phone or mm -hmm. type out a lot. Hopefully, get a guy at the YouTube that is you're learning from that he Interact. can message if he can, and and a back and forth. There'll never yes. be one answer will solve it because maybe he thought he knew what you were saying, mm -hmm. but since he doesn't know the method you're doing, he just thought you were doing it the way he did it, mm -hmm. and he can't understand that if you don't explain your yeah. way. And that causes problems when it comes to just watch and then respond and then you get one yeah. and then you get in front. It, it becomes frustrating sometimes trying to communicate like that. Sure. Yeah, you got Any personal. YouTube creates a bit of the problem too because people know that they can go on YouTube to get the answer for everything, so they're never going to try or think that there's a better one. Or they don't know what's good or bad either. It's the only block and punch they heard or learned. You know, right? They don't want to change and try new things because there's not somebody on YouTube showing them what the result's going to be. Right. So right. they're less apt to try new things. Well, I'm just this already works too, and it's also like that too. Yeah. I mean, it already works. Ain't broke. Why fix it? Really? I mean, if you aren't making a whip and it's good enough, like, well, really, why do you need to start reinventing it? I think there are reasons to an extent, but you know, I mean, that's one reason why I think they don't. It's like, well, that works. Well, people people don't understand that that's how you know Bernie came up with what he did was because yes. no one was there to show him, and there was no mm -hmm. YouTube. He had to reinvent the wheel. He had to do it the way that he could figure out how to do it because he didn't have someone um, that that was willing to share with him. Like he is so good and willing to share everything he learned, mm -hmm. but he can only show you what he came into doing his method and above all things never showed him any different you he know? did it for how many years 30 or 40 i don't know he did it for a long he was time over 40 and yeah. you have to realize um i mean i got to I, see what i did as like i said earlier when i when i'd always talk to bernie and had a great relationship with him i would always ask him even though i didn't do his methods i would ask him why he did what he did why six millimeters why this just because i'm trying to understand how to take down a mentor mind and then break his process down because as a jikono instructor that's what i learned how to Get other martial artists in there all the time better than you, and then break down the help explain so you can get more out of them. But, like, you know, he changed a lot of that stuff up just in the last 10 years of life. So, if you don't, I don't know what his lips were like before the past videos that he put out personally, except the questions he answers. But I don't, he could have had a lot of differences before we started the videos because he said, I did everything I changed because I got older. And after I got older, this simplified it. Or he says, because it made my mass simple. And he did different things because as he got older, it was either le easier on his body, easier on his body, easier on his time, you know, or just a simpler method to just achieve similar results, you know. Exactly. You know, so you, you don't understand that either. And then the fact that, like I said, he's so prolific, I mentioned earlier, and he does things so differently, but a lot of these different reasons that he chose to change as he got older. You know, and just for his own reasons. Again, I would almost say that it's some guy, it, even if he did do things like he, he did do the four flat bellies more often, because he did stop whips, stop, stop whips he did, you have to, you know, four flat bellies. But when he did bull whips, he had a different unique approach. And Australians aren't really known for their bull whips. Not insulting, they make great bull whips. I'm just saying 
overall, and Pete will tell you, well, you'll usually see nothing but stock whips, mate. She is, you know. And he'll say after that, he'll tell you something like, you know, it's like, that's yeah, bull whips, but you know, they're all Australian, more thinner handle, longer handle to kind of rep represent it. And then he says, snake whip, you'll never see one. It's like, you may go to Hawaii. I don't know if you said it like this, but you'll go to her life in Australia and never see a snake whip. Fire whips? Yeah. Uh, uh, and you know, so there's things <laughs> like that, and you understand that that too. So with Bernie, not that he couldn't make a good bull whip, or he didn't. I'm just saying, he not only decided to change a method for whatever reason, he might not have always made his bull whips like that with the six strand, with the nylon, what I call the leather nylon approach, where you have everything starts at six millimeters. So it almost makes his method, since everything starts at six or 6.5, whatever he says, since it always starts at that, and everyone that copies and pastes it starts at that, he almost has everything start like a nylon attempted approach. And then you guys are trying to just figure out the guesswork to make it work on everything else. You know, but when you do the bull whoops, you know, he kind of he kind of does it like that. But it's like, so he didn't always, like I said, did he have a different method? Or what did he change? Because what made him finally, towards the end of years, decide to change and made, finally made his math easier? Because if you listen to his math, it don't sound easy anyways. Mm -hmm. So what was different? It obviously wasn't always that math. So I don't know what that was. <laughs> but if you would, it'd probably put more light. So you got a guy that, whatever he did do, he did it long enough where he just did it so much his own way until <coughs> he became the, be able to wing it his own life his own way and so whatever you get now is from a guy's total career doing it that way. And while you can say you're off his shoulders, well, like, well, you're not really growing off his shoulders because he is prolific and he is a little different, which is nothing wrong with that, but you didn't have the experience he had that led him to the road to do it the way he does it now. So you need to get what you get out of it, but continue to find your own way. He probably just kept taking notes every time he would make a whip and then go back if something was a little off the chain. Uh, I, I don't know if he or any of us really care too much about that to an extent because, like, you know. Well, that's what I did with yeah. my strand lengths for nylon. Nylon, though. No, uh, that's yeah. not. He didn't do nylon, though, did he? No, Nylon's a little no, different because no. there's so much crazy random variation that has nothing to do with what you did, with just thicknesses that happen and it happened with flesh that, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if you can. You, it's a hard time to always be able to pinpoint exactly why it was so thick, all you can guess, yeah. but just because of that one thing. Because you can't always fix it the next time because one of your skins might just be thinner than any of the ones you had on that whip. So sometimes it comes with those diam you know, diameter things and other stuff. You know, we have that. That's where we have a different world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can't picture for the life of me why why a leather whip maker though. And don't don't get me wrong, God bless Bernie, I love him. I learned it's that's where I learned how to I wouldn't have started making whips if I didn't have his video showing me that it was I actually And him possible. answering a lot of your questions too, yeah. yeah right, yeah. right. But but why uh, when you are going to cut your strands and shape your strands and make your strands, why would you cut strands for your first and second bellies, or in his case, first, second, third and fourth bellies? And you're going to have to drop strands when you taper. Why not just taper, taper. your strands all the way and <laughs> to where they're not no drop them till where they're no longer you know, braided. You taper them all the way yeah. until you no longer want them braided, and then you leave them flat and you taper them by hand when you get there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. He, it's almost he like he was making it harder for himself. You know. But, well, but I think the time and energy to add more strands that that does make it kind of harder, longer, more wasted material. You know, to an extent. So I mean, it doesn't make sense why that would be even easier but he, he said it's got to make his math easy and whatever it is simplify it and for all I know he you know it might just be the way he stretches strands but he knows how to use a yoke and he'd use a yoke so it's not like he didn't know how to do it so there's I, I never bothered asking him why he did that with the bullwhip and that's the only question I regret never asking that was a lot I'd ask him we used to talk about vacations and stuff he did too and where he'd send me pictures of coming off Spelunkin with his family and stuff like that but if I had asked him a whip question, it would have been that. It would have been, why did you decide, what did you always do bull whips that way? Because you said you changed it for your math. Well, why? I would like to know 
if you always did that man. That I wish I could ask him for life to me. Maybe Simon knows. I should ask Simon Martin. He, he would might know because he learned, you know, from Bernie and had a deep relationship and respect for Bernie and I wish I could have met him. What other uh, what other kind of questions we got? So keep going. Say something. <coughs> hmm. I don't know. Still more coming in about stuff from Simon. I don't know that's up here. Oh, okay. Aaron Kelt Adams. Let's see. Um, okay, he says, okay, so I have a couple questions that are more or less just opinions. Uh, this is Aaron Kelt Adams. All right. What has been your favorite whip you've made? Well, I guess that's a little bit different than the question earlier. Mm. Favorite whip you ever made? Hmm. Man, I've got I've, I've got quite a few. The favorite whips that I've ever made really would be not necessarily a particular handle length or a particular color or a particular knot. It's the whips that I get done rolling. Yeah. And that yeah. whip is consistently braided from start to finish. It doesn't have a tight spot here or a loose spot there. And granted, you know, just so you know, this doesn't happen very often with me. I'm not the most consistent whip maker. I will say... Don't listen to I, it. I, I, I don't, He's again I, on listen. that 1% of 2,000 things we did to make that whip. It's that one or two things that I he just wish was a little bit better. I, 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 I I don't, we'd never know. <laughs> I don't braid junk. I'll say that. I don't braid garbage, and I certainly feel like if it, which is... I've never finished a whip and said, okay, this is too bad to send to my customer. i got to make another one. I've never done that. Because I check for things as I braid. I check, I check when I drop strands. Did I have a weak spot here? I go back and look for these things. And that doesn't mean they don't happen. But there are some whips that I finish up and I roll. And I'm like, man, I couldn't have done this better if I... If I had to, I couldn't. I, I don't think I could go back and make. You thank the Lord. You thank the Lord. The moment you see that, you're yeah. just like, thank you for letting that work through me. <laughs> there was a there was a seven foot saddle tan that I made that that uh, it it just ended up working out to where braiding this whip, the strands were narrow enough, and everything was looking good. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to drop the six plat. I'm just going to end on a seven or an eight plat point. Mm -hmm. And I did. And that whip turned out great. I wish I could have kept that one. That ended up a, with, uh, I think, Justin Hushman, but he was uh, he's a horse doctor, like a horse dentist. There's a, there was a six or seven foot uh, custom handle braid whip I, I did with Blake a while back that had a custom engraved ferrule and knots and everything, but that whip turned out to be, in my That's mind, a Zorga, Zorga target, right? really well, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Was it the national one? It was, uh, I believe, whiskey. And then the black and blue one turned out really nice too. I would have liked to have kept that black and blue whip just because it turned out to be, from in my mind, braided really consistently. And what I think, what I think that's that why why that's important to me. I don't know. That might be a question someone might ask. But I'll tell you what. Why a consistently braided whip to me is important is because let's say you have this whip that's braided nice and evenly for three quarters of its length, and then there's this little one inch section that is as limber as a noodle mm -hmm. and then the whip is tight again to the fall mm -hmm. that's not going to transfer its momentum really well when it gets to that really weak spot right right and so you don't want to have that the more consistently braided a whip is whether it's consistently loose or consistently tight as mm -hmm. long as it's consistent throughout it'll transfer its weight to the to the remainder exactly. of the length of the whip exactly and so that that's what i love when i get these whips done sometimes and i'm like man you know, because a lot of times where there's a strand drop, sometimes there's a weak spot just before the strand drop where, it, I don't want to say weak spot like the weak, like the whip is going to kink. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. but a spot where the whip just doesn't seem to be as tight mm -hmm. as what's sure. directly in front of it. And sure. then there's where I have the other situation where where the strand drop happens, but right where that strand drops, all of a sudden the braiding gets a little bit tighter than it was before. So now there's a slight stiff spot in the whip. Right, exactly. And, you know, to a degree, that's not going to make or break the whip because three, four years down the road, once that whip's been cracked 2,000 times, it's probably going to mm -hmm. work itself out. Right. You know what I mean? Like that whip Blake's got from the Indiana Jones stunt show, Spectacular. Yeah. They yeah. used that whip until it was like... Yeah, they used it. A, yeah. a, a rope, you know yeah. what I mean? Six months old. All yeah, fluid. you can't feel a tight spot or a loose spot in there, but my guess is it wasn't perfect when it got sent out. Mm -hmm. No whip ever is. It just settles. So to a degree, there's a, that acceptable amount of, hey, this is tighter than that, but it's not going to break the whip. And I'm and we're nitpicky because we're picky whip makers, you know what I mean? But it's like we all make cars and they all work and they all last, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles. It's just like I like the way this seat feels better. I like the way this picks up a little more. Right. You know, things like that. I can remember making one of those whips for the Disney stunt show Spectacular, thinking this is going to be the worst whip I've ever made in my life. It's not going to be good because I had a strand break here and I had a strand break there and I had to insert this and fix this and do this and I'm thinking this is going to be horrible. And by the time it's all said and done with and this whip is rolled, I'm like, this may damn well be the best 10-foot indie I think I've ever made. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when did that happen? <laughs> you're like, I, the whole time you're just mad. You're almost I, mad finishing right. that. Right. Like, you can roll I it. keep this? Why can't like, I keep yeah, this? You thank the Lord for having him work his, you know, work right. his ways. Like, this did not go the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> oh, it could never be more. I long. thought I would really just want to throw it in the trash, but I rolled it and tied the knots on it, shellacked it, and coiled it up and come back and looked at it the next day I'm like good lord <laughs> you know can I come up with some money and maybe keep this whip <laughs> you know? can I buy it off of you I know it's an order but I yeah. like it I had to go to the stunt show. Had to go to the and stunt and like, they're going to walk on it. They're yeah. going to step on it. They're going to drop it off a building. They're going to throw it off that hard rough surface that they fall on and it's, beat yeah. the crap out and of it. And then they're going to throw it in the trash. They have to throw it in the trash. They have to throw it in the trash. They're, they're, they they all get thrown things. away at the end of it until they get them the order. I'd like, to, I'd like to keep one of those just to have. Like the one you know you've got, they sent you like, you know. Did, yeah, Joe Strain, uh, Joe Strain said to me, he's like, Blake, every now and again you make a perfect, not like me, like I'll make a perfect whip, or talking to me, but he said, every now and again you'll make a whip that you believe just everything flew together perfectly and at the end it just, everything was perfect. He says, but you gotta let that go to that customer. Mm -hmm. yep. and, I'm, and he's yeah. right. He's right. It sucks too because every what Whitmaker doesn't want a great shining example of what they can yeah. do. You know what I mean? I'm sure Peter Thorndike's made these like the the you know the men from Snowy River whip. You well, don't like, think he wanted to keep that when oh, he was done? He would love to, but when you're looking at an eight thousand dollar tag, when you're all said and done, yeah. you need to sell that for eight thousand right. dollars to your family. Right. Right. And to remake that again, you're like, I'm not. You're not gonna ever make that. Mm -hmm. again. No. But he, the one he's working on next, he told me. I think he gave me a hint to what he's going to do to to beat it. I don't think he did it yet. And I'm not going to share that with you, but I think he's. I think if he could, he would want to at least keep that one, because I don't. I think after that, he, he was like, I probably shouldn't have sold it and just kept it. But it belongs at a museum. That and the uh, one Harrison cracked <laughs> in the streets of Cairo. They both belong in a museum. Yeah. They, uh, no one needs to own. I don't care if you have a hundred thousand dollars. The world needs to see it. <laughs> well, I don't know. In person, behind glass case in the Constitution, America. 
I guess if a whip maker is going to own that whip, it probably ought to be the guy who made it or Adam Winter. <laughs> or Adam Winter. Right. I mean, really. And, so, and with that, yeah, though, you got to see fitting. Pete gets to visit it every year, if not more. So, right? you know, yeah. Pete will right. always get to see it. Yeah. yeah, Adam will let him touch it. You know what? <laughs> I, I, would, I would take that $8,000 paycheck and just visit it every year because I ain't never going to crack it. Right. <laughs> I would never have cracked it. And that's what I like about Adam, though, is that, yes, it's a one-of-a-kind, and, yeah, realistically, the thing is priceless. But don't he, even want so much. He's, he's going to crack it. it. It may not touch the ground when he does. Yeah, but he's going to still crack it. But he now. will crack it. I've seen him crack that other. Not the not the man from Snowy River. But the first time we got together with him, he had that two tone natural and whiskey uh, that just had some ridiculous braiding on it. I took a slow motion video out Peter yeah. Thorndike. Yeah. When Peter's the whip, yeah, and know. he's cracking the bejesus out of it without concern, but because <laughs> he knows how. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. not touching the ground. He ain't beating it. But you know, it's a hype. Plat, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant. we're talking about a 32 plat foam that Adam is cracking. Yeah. Just, just like four plat. I saw Peter crack the man from Snowy River whip oh, last year. Did he do that oh, there? He did. Awesome, mate. He cracked it. I got it on video, actually, I think. In that. That's a real berry, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> For Nick, that's a real berry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was awesome. I think my favorite whip, oh man, that's tough. I would have to say. Uh, I actually have a video of it. I, I made a whip for a guy in Canada, and uh, he wanted an eight-foot chocolate brown bull whip. Had two bellies, um, black knots, transition knot, heel knot, black chocolate brown uh, was the, the body of the whip. But um, man, I don't know something about that whip just just rolled out like you wouldn't believe. Um, every now and then. Like you were saying, Blake. You make one that just use like I love everything about, like it accomplished everything that I'm currently thinking makes it the best whip. Yeah. And it did it that time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah it was actually a video where I was, uh, I was uh, mentioning a, a whip meet coming up. It was one of the your whip, your whip meets, Blake. Oh, yeah, I had those in, in two Indian. years. I canceled the Annapolis whip meets because yeah. I was the only one. Me, well, you'd come, Leo would come, Steve come when he could. And, we always made it and a handful of others show up around again, but it's like it was a lot of work to almost have no one show up and know we had everyone there that would be worth it. And I just like, I couldn't keep putting the effort. I haven't paid to rent out gyms, and then I was not expecting anyone to pay me back, but every time, you know, $150 for three meets to happen. I'm sorry, $450, $350 rentals <laughs> so we could have those, and we don't have like five people come out or six. And right. I didn't, I wasn't going to pay him up for money, you know, but people gave a donation, they did, and sometimes they did all right. But, you know, it, it was not everything I made. I even put my money into it, but just it wasn't full out like I wanted. It wasn't for me. I never wanted to make those whip meets for me. I wanted to make the whip people in the Indiana surrounding states get together and have a bash and grow it. And I was hoping to maybe, I was, I was talking about Adam, about coming out when he does and doing a, maybe we should have a, you know, a new Midwest whip competition. But it turned out, I'm, you know, I talked about it. I put a post out to a bunch of people on a Facebook message for you guys be interested, but nothing really turned of it. But uh, April's now taking charge. We're going to be one of the people to help out with, I think. And now it's going to be a Chicago. Isn't that what they're going to do? They're going to try and eventually yeah, make a Chicago her, whip yeah. competition soon. So that's yes. awesome, guys. It's going to be September, near Chicago soon. 2019 is coming up. I'll be co-hosting it with her. And we're going to try to get a bunch of people there. I hope you both can make it, too. So about that, what made it so great was also because it's in your spectrum of the six to seven foot target. And yes. It just happened to be that it was so beautiful you didn't care as a foot longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Pretty much. There's a video of that whip. Um, I think I did mention something like, man, I wish I could keep this. But the reason I bring that whip up, for one, it was to date probably my favorite one I ever made. But I recently got to see it again because mm 
my customer actually sent it back to me for a rewaxing. Nice. And uh, I think a fall replacement. Did you charge for the rewax? You did that for free. I did it for free. I, I That's did, awesome. I, I threw in some stuff. I I always offer a. Free you hear wax. that, customers? Yes. If you buy from Nick, he free rewax. Lifetime waxing, stuff, baby. Man. Especially with the fifty pounds you just gave me, Blake. Now, I, I don't appreciate <laughs> it, brother. He, Blake just gave me fifty pounds of paraffin. <laughs> It's been on my shelf for two years. Yeah, the last yeah. time we had a whipcast, I even told you on that whipcast, you need to get this 50 pounds out. So you just finally, today we loaded I made sure I loaded it up in this car so it would be stuck yeah. in my garage. Yeah, just uh, just cover cover the shipping, return shipping, and I'll take care of you. I'll Send a surfboard. We'll wax it. We may charge you, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> charge on the surfboard wax. So. Right. But it's cool to see that whip again, man. I, I took it out, and it was still holding up pretty good. And through it a few times. I wonder how many whipmakers do that. Like I like uh, some like people, you know, they'll send in. I'll do a fair, you know, if it's a fall repair job, it's different than if I just got to do a fall replacement. Mm -hmm. And most people charge thirty five bucks for fall replace replacement. Mm -hmm. So if you send it into Paul Nolan or someone, it's typically about thirty five dollars. Somebody charge for you, them to just cut the eye in your fall, cut a new fall, put the new <coughs> fall on, pull it out. And sometimes they even charge you for the fall. So we're looking mm -hmm. forty five. And then shipping back. So like fifty dollars just to get you a new fall or fall replacement. They they you pay for them to ship it back to you. You know, but a lot of times, you know, they'll just send it in and they'll they'll tell me a problem they had and I just say ship it out to me and then they ship it out to me and then I just replace the fall and send it back and I pay for the shipping, I never say a word. And everybody's like, Oh, you don't want anything for it? I'm like, Nah man, you pay to ship it out. I'll pay to ship it back out to you and it's on me and I usually send them, you know, I cut some more crackers and other condition. I should probably clarify. I mean, if it's just tattered up and frayed beyond repair, but it's not the same as a rewax. Well, you just said rewax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't I say did fix it at all. You just like rewax it all. Just true. so it's all tattered, he'll dip it in wax for you. No matter I, how while torn, it's here, I no matter really, how torn up it is, he'll just wax it. <laughs> yeah, if those strands are still intact, I'll, I'll throw right. it in the fall on. I don't have any problem doing that for customers. You know, when whips get falling apart from natural use or overuse, you know, like the worst thing is when you have people that only buy a whip yours for like a, I can imagine a nylon. If I only got, if I was so, you know, if they sold cheap like $150 and I only got paid $150 to put a whole day's worth of work on a whip. <laughs> and then they used it for two years of cracking every day for two years. And then within a year, they're like, hey, it's been two years and this thing's falling apart. And I'm like, well, I have no idea what you did. And it's exactly. like, I'm mad at you for what you did. I'm like, all right, well, first of all, they're disposable whips. And I figured the last three or four or five years, I'm like, well, I don't know what all surfaces you cracked it on, how hard you hit it, how much you really mm -hmm. abused it. Did you try swinging from it? No, I didn't. You know, whatever. <laughs> right. You can't really, you know. You know, there's a, the warranties should only cover so much. Yeah. Like I cracked this and I cracked it around trees and it cracked, it got cut in half, wrapped around a tree instantly. I've only had it for a month and it sliced itself up because I was cracked around trees in the forest. Yeah. You owe me a new whip. I'm like, oh, well, I will try to help you out with that. <laughs> we'll yeah. figure out the man. It's like. Rough concrete tends to leave a distinctive yeah, like that. signature on the Yeah, nylon. you start, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it drags on the ground. Oh, you can tell. It'll destroy the tip. Up. You can't yeah. really blame someone for that. I mean, I would. I don't feel like I would feel right to blame the maker for that. Absolutely. Even if it tore up in one day of me cracking it over mm -hmm. a blacktop. Mm -hmm. that'd, be, that'd just be wrong. Yeah. And I guess on uh, mine was my favorite whip make. Mm -hmm. It'd be a 4'12 plat. Um, it had two bulbous of a hilt, uh, of a heel knot. And it had a 5.4 on it. It turned out all right. A little too bulbous for it. But my daughter, Ava, and I, it, she wanted to make a whip with me. And so I made it and lashed it. And she braided the first belly, which wasn't very far. And then I rebraided, of course, when she wasn't looking real fast. <laughs> and she rolled it. And then she wanted the overlay and three multiple colors of purple, blue, and pink. 
And I'm like, I don't know you do that. So I bought purple, blue, and I had red dye, and I didn't buy pink. I'm like, well, I think if we just put red on a little bit, it'll make it. But then we, she hand-dyed every little stage, and then I braided the whip, and I That's still have That's what it's it. all about right there. Man. That was my favorite whip. Um, I don't think I can top that. Now, if I had to talk about a whip that I've made, I don't like Steve. There's somewhere I just would have loved to keep them, and I couldn't. There's too many to pick like that. But one that I did make, I would say that I love to make, and especially afterward, was so pleased with, and I'm glad I kept it, was the first and only 20-foot whip I made. And I, love, I made a 12-inch handle, because I thought that, I don't like 12-inch handles on anything. I think 10 is the longest show I want to go. But uh, the 12-inch, I, I don't like target whips so much with 12-inch handle period, but it's good, you know, I prefer 10 shorter. But I put a 12 because it's a 20-foot, and I thought a 12-inch handle would be great, and it's a nice spring sole spike. And when I got done with that and the diameter of it, it was so thin and immaculate. And a guy who uh, I went to have make a feral, because I'm always looking for new talent guys. <coughs> By the way, if you're in a machinist, get a hold of me. If you make sword handles, or swords, or knife handles, knife maker, if you're willing to make handles, something like that for me, get a hold of me. If you guys are woodworkers, and I want to maybe see if there's something I can do that you can do with me to work with and cross-motor PR, get a hold of me. I'm Blake Bruning at Trini Whip Co. You can contact me at trinywhipco at yahoo.com uh, or call me at 317-407-0153 if you're out of this country. I'd even be considering some things. Uh, just find me through Facebook, Facebook Messenger is Blake Bruning or Trini Whip Co. and message me. But either way, um, uh, I, I needed a new engraver. Bernie passed away. Um, I have the last thing he might have worked on before he died. He made two sets of Trini Whipco ferals, and I got one of the last messages a week before he passed, about or two weeks before he passed, and he was making them when he found out he had stage four cancer, and then he got them out a week or so after that, and to the mail, and then he passed away two weeks after that, but he, that was probably the last thing Bernie ever completed, and I have three sets of these ferals, and uh, so he, um, uh, I couldn't find an engraver, and um, for a while, it was hard to even want to find an engraver. <laughs> and so after about a year later, I found a guy, and he said, hey, I want a whip, how about we trade? So I had to make uh, a scroll work on a ferrule, and uh, it was so well done. It was like a microscope could have done it. And I said, great, and I'm, I'm using it to test for other people. And I said, how much is the ferrule? And he said, well, I'm going to cut you a deal. Thanks. He said, I'm going to cut you a deal. Um, and since we're trading, he says, I'm only going to charge you $300. I'm like three hundred dollars for engraving on an inch-long furrow on a cylinder. Now it's an immaculate, but I'm like I can't sell that to my customers. They're gonna spend five hundred on a whip and a three hundred dollar apparel of working engraving. You know, eventually found Buckles by Jackson or Jackson Buckles to call them. Definitely get hold of Buckles Jackson or Buckles by Jackson. You can I, I think it's BucklesbyJackson.com. I don't know, but if you search it, you'll find a lot of places. But he is the best engraver, hands down, for the money to do anything you ever do with ferals, and he'll make them for you. Just tell him Blake sent you. And, uh, but with that, um, I couldn't use that, but I had that feral. I'm like, well, I didn't say anything. I took it. He said he'd do it. He did it. He says he's cut me deal at three. I took the hit, but I put that on that 20-foot Zorro-style whip, and I still have it. But I've never made another 20-foot, but the whole thing turned out so beautifully it was done. And what really about that whip is when uh, I visited Joe with it last time, Joe cracked it. And he cracked it, and he and I got the other thing. He says, "I really like that whip." And for him to say that on a twenty foot, I did a really good job. That's awesome. <laughs> did, did I crack that one? Yeah, that's the one you. you actually, yeah, you were the yeah. first person to crack it. Remember, I said I oh, haven't cracked it yet. Honored. I said, "Hey Nick, oh. I haven't finished this right for the whip." He's like, "Do you want to be the guy that cracks that, that bullwhip?" Such a treat, man. Yeah. That was awesome. You you were the first one to crack it. Wow. Yeah. I love that whip. Yeah, that was the one we had. We uh, the first time we got together with Adam, he was knocking the bottle cap off of the. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, he used that for that too. He used a 20 foot on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. On a second try, it was a 20 <laughs> yeah, yeah, foot yeah, yeah. whip. 
takes right. the cap right off the bar. <laughs> hey, Adam, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> Thank you, though, because I'm a whip maker now. That's so great, man. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. I love that one. I, I'm not going to sell that one. I, I, I Sometimes times get tough. Uh, I just came up some really bad problems with kidney stones which I've never had in my life and the, the, everyone botched that up but I almost thought about like I look around I'm like I need several hundred dollars right now I'm like I could probably sell it for a thousand even though it's used and it's 20 foot long I can't do that I cannot sell that whip but every now and again I look at things I don't want to sell and I'm like I might have to do it so every now and again if you keep your eyes posted I'll sell a treasure and it's only because something I'm you know I just need to get by for a week till things process so still living you know paycheck paycheck as much as I can family of five here you know I know. All right, so let's see. I know uh, feeling. Huh? I know. Let's see. Any tips on making the herringbone gapless? Um, I can answer this pretty quick, and I think you guys might agree. Whether you're doing nylon or leather, it differs. Uh, if you, it depends. Uh, if you. Well, I would say there's a few factors that can cause to change this answer. But how to go easier would first of all, if you can braid right into it, that's do the right braiding definitely. But um, it's going to get gappier there if you're talking about where the, it gets fatter there, anyways. But I would say when you turn to the herringbone, go wider on your pole, and that might solve it. Unless you need to get thicker strands because everything's too, you know, too fat or too thin. I mean, other than it's not appropriating the right amount of strands for it, I would say just go a little wider there, and not so cute, and that probably solve it. Yeah. Or after you you braid it a couple times and you've got into it, just use your thumb and shove it up a little, and it'll probably get rid of the gap in your braid. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. No. I mean, if you're if you're not having gaps in your diamond plat and you are having them in your herringbone when you go from diamond to herringbone I'm assuming oh, and it is okay. pretty common it'll gap right there at that one spot and that's what I was asking about how can I get rid of that one gap right there but that's why you put a tranny over it anyways if it's mm -hmm. a gap you won't see it but yeah I'm assuming that your strand width is right or your strand count and saying everything is appropriately right. to match your braiding your, while you're braiding and while it's braided on then your pulling angle is wrong yeah. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with pulling angle. Yeah, you're, it's it's got to do, and basically what you need to look at, in my mind, when you're pulling each strand tight in that herringbone is not where you're actually pulling the strand, but about one one strand group up where that strand's tight. Like with up. twelve plats, twelve individual plats back then. Like yeah. I'll call that a set. If it's Watch, a twelve yeah. plat and I did twelve braids, I did a set. I call it a, a set of twelve. Keep your eye on that when you pull, and if you're what what you should see is that when you pull that strand, that's where the gap's going to start. So the strand you're currently pulling, you're going to look at the top of your braiding, where where you're where not where you're actually grabbing the strand to pull, but where it's on top of the whip that's getting pulled around the curve, right. where that slides into place as you pull it, and is it at a different angle than it needs to be? And if you widen that angle and pull more out to the side than back towards yourself, that'll slide up into the strand behind it and eliminate a gap and you'll just have to keep doing that until the diameter of the whip changes <coughs> you see that's oh i read that wrong he just wanted to know about how to make herringbone gapless just in general just i think so any tips on making the herringbone gapless i for some reason i thought i read diamonds in there wow. diamonds herringbone is there ever a chance oh yeah yeah you're, you've either got a you've either got a problem with your strand count or your strand width or the core size they're all relative they all have to relate to each other yeah like the, the angle of your pull. Like if you want to say the problem is you don't have strands in your overlay, well, you could shrink your internal and the strand fit. Right. There's, so you, there's a balance of yeah. which is the problem there, and if you fix one, it affects the other. You so could make your strands wider. You if they're all bunching the up, what do you do? Well, if we're not talking, you're able, you're able to drop yet. Like it's on a handle that can't be dropped on, you know, or whatever. It's not on the, you know, whatever. Saying so it can't be dropped. Well, then, yeah, you've got too many strands or too less strands, or 
you've got your strands too wide or too thin based on what you're braiding over. Yeah. So for nylon, it's all dependent basically on where you're getting your strand lengths. And there, there is the diameter of, of the core beneath it. If you're getting your strand lengths from my website and you're still getting spaces, then chances are you could be using too much tape, too much binding towards getting bulky, and then you have so much surface area that that number of strands isn't sufficient to to cover that surface there area. There is a margin of getting a buy on the angle you're pulled though people yes, you don't true. have to have a profile yes. there's Definitely. like say if you know it's a, you're, well, if you guys should know what i mean by pulling out a 45 degree angle to an extent well you have about 15 20 degrees in each direction you can make that you strand get pulled it. to you fix save it, yeah. so i would almost say like let's just say your <coughs> strands are an appropriate amount to match what you're braiding over mm -hmm. well then it still could just be now it's your arm pull because you're pulling a cute when right there it needs to be more wide or you're pulling <laughs> that's yeah, why you're yeah, getting yeah. gaps so you just need to pay attention to angle pull that could be it saying everything else is appropriately within ballpark and then uh let's see let's see oh it said uh when you're not working on whips what do you guys do for fun i wrote those on order we're not working on whips for you for fun what do we not do for fun <laughs> that's a better question yeah exactly well we're family man so fun yeah. is uh cleaning up messes <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, now what are other passions I like to have free time? Well, I do try to maximize my time. So when I am over with my family and say it's late at night and they're not really doing too much, I will sit around them while they're watching TV and I'll rope in the room with them lately, especially rope. And I finally got to put about four or five hours under gun spinning uh, after my surgery, which took me out for a long time because I wasn't strong enough to make whips for a while, but I was well, for a week or so, but I was after the surgery, but I was strong enough to at least spin, <laughs> spin some of my guns. I'm like, that's the perfect time to get my gun spinning up a notch. It's, I don't know. But obviously that, you know, every now and again I'll find a buddy I can play chess with. Like, uh, it's been four years before my last buddy, and last year I had a buddy that what I would do on, he lived in another country, his name's Peter Thorndike. But he, we would get on Facebook Messenger whenever he'd get a break for 30 minutes because he'd be working on whips in the morning, but it'd be like 2 in the morning for me or 1. And so then he'd, he'd be, I'd be out there outside hooked up with him on my phone through messenger, messenger talking to him, but I'm using chess.com, the app, so I can touch the board in my palm and touch a piece and move it where I want it, and he's doing the same thing. We're playing each other while we're talking through a voice messenger, which we couldn't do if we called each other on a normal phone. So for our <laughs> for months there, we probably played 100 games together and some fast games, not just slow games. I mean, we did some slow and That's just awesome. talked our heads off for a long time. And so that was the best I had. And recently I had a friend get back into it. So I'd say, well, if I have a friend, I like to put time in playing chess. But that, that's neither. That's more of it Chess comes cool, when you man. have a, like the when the student when the when the student needs it the master appears it's like well when I'm it comes when it comes and I get it when I get it but I can't yeah. always predict that and I don't yeah. always want to play chess all the time but chess is fun I mean I suck at it but I still like it yeah. maybe that'll change maybe it won't that's cool what else? What do you do? I, I think most Me? people know Nick storm chases for fun. I love flies storm planes chasing. for fun. Yeah. What else besides your? What are your? What are the other um, things? Photography for fun. Yeah, photography. Fishing I, for fun. Yeah, I but do. I like to. Do I think a lot Nick, of you know, that's pretty easy. If you listen to this podcast, you kind of get a sense for it. But is there anything else besides that 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 we'd say you do for fun that maybe you haven't mentioned before? I mean, There's just like, I love. That's film. a big one right there. That's more than I'll ever do in my life. I love. <laughs> I love making things. I guess uh, filmmaking is big, even if it's just a stupid little video that I make by myself, just for the satisfaction of making it. If it's a comedy or whatever. The whole process, like yeah, yeah shooting it, building something it, something wrong, making it, it something it wasn't yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, I, I love just making stuff. 
All right, we've got more, and yeah. but I'll tell you what, we may just want to wrap this up. Let's let's yeah, look at it real quick and maybe find one more person if possible. I didn't get to finish all the ones he asked. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'd like to see. A, okay, once again, can't use a lot of these. And uh, move on. I think it might be one more. Um, please ask about the tension through the whole whip. Meaning, do you pull very hard on your strands in your belly? And do you? Lo oh, this is by Adam May. Uh, Please ask, oh, he says, please, we can't ask these guys about the tension throughout the whip, meaning do they pull very hard on your strands in the belly, and do you lighten how hard you pull on your second belly, and then <laughs> you lighten again on the overlay, or is it backwards? I almost think we kind of answered that earlier, mm -hmm. talking about how we want the transition to be the tightest thing ever, mm -hmm. and we talked about how Adam and like a looser, and I would always say, like, well, you want this to be the tightest in the section. I almost think that might answer what we'd all agree on. Like, you definitely want your tightest over on the handle, over the training, mm -hmm. and you can keep it that tight through the whole much whip you want, but... If you would to loosen, it'd definitely be several inches or mm. half, a quarter length of the mark of the whip, maybe even if you want, before you would loosen. That's what I'd say. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Sure, sure. He says, my whip looks more like a fishing rod than a whip. Is that is that too much tension? If it's nylon, probably. I, I think that's what I would say. Is he, well, it, what is he using for his binding? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's, are you buying stuff? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. one thing. Is it really braiding or binding? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got to give it, I guess, my opinion on binding. I mean, so many people put so much emphasis on binding, and I hear so many people who don't make whips talk about if a whip doesn't have binding, it's junk. And all I can say is, I think a lot of people don't realize that their overlay is binding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your overlay is you, the you, best binding you got yeah, on a whip. The best binding you could have because <laughs> it's going to be bound from the left and the right at the same time, so it's not going to cause the whip to want to twist. Whereas if, way you, to explain it. if you tie this stuff around your whip from one side over and over and over and over, you've got a counter spiral or it makes it lose the transition instantly. The whip always wants to curve to the right or left. Yeah, that's but why it's important to. If, what if you do do anything, which I don't agree with binding at all, you've got to counter bind. You've got to kind of oh, yeah. bind. You go one way, you go the other. Balance it out, definitely. And that could be a challenge, too, in front of how much bind. Like, how are you going to match it? And then no matter what, I'll tell you what, you've already got one layer on top of the other, so that defeats kind of bind. It still won't be perfect because no matter what, no matter how much equals it. You always have a little tiny discrepancy. Now, if you yeah. did it like a whip and crossed them and braided it, it'd be different. <laughs> but it'll still affect a little bit. Not enough to really affect the whip. And even if a whip did have true center, true north, you know, true spine, it will lose it if the whip cracker doesn't hold the whip the same way every time or turns his whip to the side or tries to loosen it up or when he stores it, he just randomly just ties it up in a coil and throws it in a bag. Like, you'd want to store it well. I mean, that'll affect things. Now, will it stop, affect the whip from cracking? Well, no, but you need to now crack the whip more based on how the whip natural curve is formed now or how it seems to be, not the way it would be, the way the whip maker might have given it to you. I assume that the whip maker would want it to be where there is a spine and <laughs> there's a belly based on the seams. Is this, is this a nylon whip that he's talking about? Or yeah, that's another thing too, is it nylon? Yeah, that, if it's nylon, that's what I said. If it's nylon, you're probably definitely braiding way too tight, but then he mentioned the In nylon, my yeah. experience, if it's a nylon whip and, it, and you hold it out and it's like a stiff fishing rod, I would either say that there's maybe too much binding. That's probably the number one cause for something like that. Um, I would ask if he's rolled it yet. If, if he hasn't rolled it yet, give it a hard roll. Put all your weight on it. Give it a nice pull. Like take the whip every foot, you know, take it in your two hands, left and right, and give it a pull and work your way down and see if that doesn't help it. If, if, it, if it does help it, you know, then it was most likely a, a I don't know, a binding issue. Maybe your, your plaiting wasn't uh, consistent throughout. But at that point, if, if, it's, if it's doing that, I think you can still salvage it and it can still be a good cracking whip if you roll it well and just start cracking. 
you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Kind of forced to do things, you know, bend it where it's not crease, where it is creasing and, and you know, just, just crack the thing and chances are it'll, it'll even itself out and, and be a, a reasonable cracking. But I will say that if you, you could make a whip out of nylon or maybe leather, I think it'd be harder with leather than nylon, that would be because of some, well, binding would do it, but braiding it so tight that it could be too much of a stick and it would never be able to crack more, right? <laughs> and with the leather, I think you might be able to get away with the same thing. I just think nylon, because the way it is, and I think ultimately kangaroo will have more of a natural age stretch that comes with nylon, doesn't that? You could do it easier with nylon than the kangaroo. That'd be amazing. Well, you could, you literally could, but with binding alone, yeah, you could bind it so much it'll never crack right or roll out right, no matter what you do, no matter how aged it is. You yeah. could, you could follow you there. If you... Yeah. All right, now I think that was all of them. I, I'm sorry, well, we got one more left though, but I believe that's pretty much all of them. And there are a lot of questions that I think I answer with comments because people ask stuff like, you know, how can I make a whole whip and can you show it and show me a nine? Mm -hmm. uh, if I missed anyone, I apologize run out of time and, uh, and I, from what I believe all this everything I looked at I think I covered them all but I have one more from a guy that actually was from that because I only posted something because I responded on uh, my Facebook page his name's Ben Ulrich and he just said how about a brief description <laughs> we're probably not going to help you very well how, how about a brief description of the history of whips in general and then go into each individual type of whip like where they started where they've been where they're going uh, plus how Famous they are, especially the Indies or the Man from Southern Whips of the West by yeah. David Morgan. Yeah, by Whips of the West by yeah. David David yeah. Morgan. That's the best way because it'd take a whole book. There are mm. books devoted to this subject, yes. We can't sum it up in a, in a paragraph. But uh, where Whips got started, I guess, I don't know, sometime before ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's pictures mm -hmm. in the pyramids, you know, when the Jews were, the Jewish community was slaves to the Pharaoh where there's Whips on them. And then there are, there's two basic classes. There's like slapping whips and cracking whips. You know, the mm -hmm. slapping whips come from a Mongol heritage, to the best of my knowledge. And again, this is from what I recall of David Morgan's books. Mm -hmm. So that's really where you should go, I think, with that. But And like signal whips were used to for Eskimos and dog teams because, you, you, you know, it's you can't yell all day long trying to find someone. So you have a signal whip so it's so small it cracks right in front of you. It's all about making a pop, not a great pop or a great popping whip. Mm -hmm. The original point of signal whips were to signal each other where they're and, at. Well, not only <laughs> yeah. that, but also to have a whip that you could easily stow in a small pocket. Yes, because mm -hmm. you're cold. And also, dog sled is only about, you know, it's only so far. If you do need to crack, you're not trying to, you're just trying to scare them to go faster, not hit an animal. And so, you know, you've got six dogs in front of you. We're only talking that six, seven feet. You only need a four foot to crack over the middle of the path. You know, you don't want to deafen them anyways. What are you going to do? Hit it right by their ears? Then you got hard winds and snows coming at you. You just got something that you can actually Some make crack well right make by a big noise. Kind of like the Indy pistol is so big, it'd only be good if a cougar's on top of you and you pull it out to shoot him. It wouldn't be something you'd aim across to actually hit the guy with the sword. Wouldn't Believe it or not, I've had a few cattle ranchers who, who ordered snake whips because yeah. they didn't want to carry around a big old mm -hmm. age. Well, the beauty of the snake whip in the Old West, unless I'm wrong, uh, is common that coachmen would have them because you could. You, it's very hard to wear a bull whip or a stock whip around your anywhere on your body, you know, where it doesn't. The handle's not going to cause problems or clang or make it hard to sit down. While snake whip, they just wrap around their neck. Right. So whenever they need to crack it, they can just reach up and pull it off their neck and crack it, and then just wrap it back around their neck. And I think that's. I don't know if that's why snake whips were first invented, but my guess would almost be it had to be somebody that saw that as a problem having a metal handle. 
You know, but maybe it's just, you know, yeah. maybe somebody saw a signal and thought it worked great but needed to be longer and then just didn't know how to do the cracker. You know, it may <laughs> Or do the cracker, so he just put a fall on it. Who knows? I mean, I don't, I'm not sure, but David's might have answered. I just am not as knowledgeable on that as. Maybe it may have been somebody had a uh, bullwhip that had a, had a <laughs> wooden handle that <laughs> broke. <laughs> and they just, just said, you know that. what, I'm going to bind this I was and just put gonna a knot on it. And that started that, hey, that worked good enough for right, what I it wanted it for. It better if I had some weight in it. What can I do? Hell, there's a sled shot. Let's use it. Let's just cut it. Let's cut the handle off. All right, so it says, plus, how famous, um, how famous I think certain whips are, like Indy, Zorro, Man from Snowy River, Lash, Lash LaRue, Douglas Fairbanks, which I believe is Zorro. Douglas Fairbanks played Zorro, right? And then just, just a thought. Well, I don't know if you can attribute too much on that, but which is famous, but apparently I would say everything you named are the more famous things that American cinema ever let out. That everyone that's our age would say. Indiana Jones is at the top, no doubt. Well, uh, yeah, it's probably is, but like the Zorro, everybody. When you think of a guy, uh, some guy in a movie with a whip, generally it's Zorro or Indiana Jones. Lash Rue was more for people that grew up in an older generation that watched that on TV. Like that was there when they were kids. It was the show to watch. Like right. the Wagoneer. I don't know if that's the name of one, but you know they'd have like the Rifleman, Lash Rue. I mean, he was the only guy with the whip back then. So that's a huge one for a lot of people. And then Maybe as far as the man the from line. Snowy River. Comparing the Indy with the Zorro with the La Lash Lou, and he says Douglas Fairbanks. Um, I don't know. Was Lash Lou Douglas Fairbanks? Either Douglas Fairbanks played Zorro. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, that's a whip that was just made within three years ago, and you're comparing that with things that have been on shows for the past 34 years. Wait, Man from Snowy River was much Oh, you're, oh that's right. Not, not Peter's. Yeah, the, was the he talking? Movie. I, I, was, I didn't know if he was that. talking no, about no. Peter's. No, you're right. Movie I'm wrong. Okay. Sorry, Ben, you're right. Like the man from Snowy River from the Disney movie. Okay. okay, so that went from what I understand. I try to get specs on that. I try to get good pictures on that. Casey has some decent stuff that are not the stuff you get on the internet, but you, you can't get anything good on that because you only have a couple yeah, fuzzy I, pictures I from the movie to I see think. it, and there's not much on there. But it was really a completely basic, like Glendolin makes great whips, but he also makes a really cheap four-plat whip. And I don't think it's a four-plat whip, but it was a very, I believe it was a half, I don't know if it was a half or full, it was like a half-flat whip, but it was nothing special. It was like all just one color, like whiskey. It was just a normal run-of-the-mill half-plat stock whip that had like mm -hmm. a 12-plat or whatever. The, I don't know what the thong was, mm -hmm. but it was just a real, from what I understand, it was just a real basic stock whip. Yeah, I thought but, it was white. Well, whatever it was, I'm just saying I know it was one color. It wasn't like a two-tone. I don't think it had any real fancy braiding. It might just have like short, you know, short hand bone or diamond. Like whatever it was, it was not what you'd think it'd be Probably for how much not. reverence it had. That it was just the man just sort of like I don't even know if they they don't even think they know what happened to whips after the movie I think I don't know if someone has them do they like because it's just like it was just a whip they used for the movie they probably didn't realize that movie was going to be so great who knows who ended I mean because it's a classic who knows I hope it's still intact it. somewhere unless I'm wrong if you know if they can find it because it's hard to get any pictures from it today you know but I know it was really basic like it was so much more basic than you think being the whip used from the man from Snowy Right. sorry about that I misread that or thought about that. Earlier. But I guess which famous is just where you're, whether you're across the pond, mate, and you want the man from Snowy River, who cares about Indiana Jones over there? Right. You know, it's just where you're from. And then, you know, America, depending on your age, and then the rest, just depending on America, be your age. You know, we, well, we, Zorro was more before Indy. So did you grow up as a kid watching the Disney Zorro shows? Is that where you saw your whip? So was that the age? Mm. Or was it Indiana Jones growing up the age, which came a little bit later? Or Lash Lou was before or after during one of those? So it kind of just depends on what I would say. The famous just comes from how old you are and when you saw what you loved or what you saw that got you into it. Like it was definitely Indy that got me into it. If mm -hmm. I had to guess, I, I would probably think but, that Indy, or, uh, Indiana Jones was 
probably the most popular worldwide. I would say Indian. Yeah, probably Indian. I I think about. I think Zorro is the most popular wormhole in the world. Mm -hmm. But Indian Zorro both well got to me. Like I do love the fox. You know Zorro. I would say Indy may be the. You might be right. Indy may be the most. That yeah. I think Indy probably is the most iconic one in the world, followed by Zorro. Or I think it might be a tie, just because I think Zorro hits more now. At least sings home more because first of all, Zorro is the real guy is Spanish. He's not, uh, is it wrong to say, you know, the Mexican that I assume that's usually, he's in the California saving the Mexican people of those peoples. You know, it's not all Spanish people that he's saving, but mm-hmm. some of them are, but there's a lot of Mexicans in there. And so he's also, in a sense, a weird California Mexican Spanish hero. So, like, there's almost three cultures that would love Zorro mm-hmm. already more than just Americans like Indiana Jones, although Indy is kind of, you yeah. know, he is pretty level. I'd say probably Zorro and Indy are the most famous currently. I don't think anything might top that for a while. It should be Iron Man 2. Those lips should be famous. <laughs> Joe made them though, but that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Like, ah, oh, we want electric whips. I want whips that freaking shoot electricity. That would make it the most famous whip if you could actually buy that in a store. You're like, why would I want a whip? We're not going to electrocute you. We're not going to have a lightning bolt. <laughs> Test the coil whip. Stun gun you. Yeah. And uh, I think that did it all. I think we covered all the questions. Cool, We've got enough time in this podcast, so. Well, I've had a fantastic uh, couple of days with you both. It's always good to see you. And it's well, always good to see you, Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for being on the show again, guys, and uh, I look forward to the next time. Right. Thank well, you for having us. As yeah, always. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, guys, thank you for listening, and uh, looking forward to the next one. Have a good one. <laughs>